This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. Are you drinking up? First, you gotta do the Trump shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to a brand new episode of WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. Say hi to your mom for me. Joining me per usual is Mr. Positivity, Wolfie T. You crazy if you think I'm going to walk up some dark alley with a loud orange hat on my head and a whistle. What's up? Not much. What's up with you? I just marathoned the Leprechaun 7 movie <laughs> collection on Blu-ray. Over the course of two days, this is probably a, a mistake. <laughs> this is not the best choice. I saw that. And if you follow Wolfie on Letterboxd, you would know that as well. It took till the sixth one to find like a really good sequel. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then the, the next one is The Origins, which is neither an origin story or a Leprechaun movie. <laughs> so i don't uh, i was confused yeah i have the same set that you do although i haven't finished it uh, i remember two and three there was diminishing returns still some fun to be had but uh just kind of a gradual step down and then i started four and i fell asleep about halfway through that one was severely low budget so yeah four is really rough but it ends pretty strong but there's a lot okay. of shit you got to sift through to get to it. And then uh, <laughs> the, the two hood ones are, are better. Um, the second hood one was almost as good as the original, in my opinion. Um, but uh, yeah, it took him a long time to get to a decent sequel. Uh, we have a special guest that I think was nodding in agreement in your assessment of the, of the hood leprechaun sequels. Uh, his name is Hunter Deucing from the Midnight Movie Cowboys podcast. Hey, pond scum. Here's a 45. You can keep the change. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Great to be here. Hey, welcome back. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Happy to be here. I'm sure you're excited to talk all things Oscars and best films of 2021. Such a landmark year in cinema. You know me. The two things I love are movies made in the current year and award shows. Those are my favorite. I have my Oscars card here. I'm going to be placing bets at a party. I'm going to be keeping score. It's going to be great. Yes. You're one of those people that cheers when the right movie wins the award. Yes. And I will. Here's the thing. When the movie I will make my predictions and I will explain to you the politics of Hollywood. I will talk about the movie that should win, but the movie that will win. And then there's the dark horse. It's the one that could upset the apple cart. It's the one that mm -hmm. if it turns out to win, I will say I predicted it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I'll, I'll use it as proof that I'm always right at reading the tea leaves as to what the Oscars <laughs> will bring. This is a very important skill to have. 
And the, the Oscars are very important because it's not necessarily the best picture, but the most important picture that was. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's not about who spends the most money lobbying <laughs> to get that movie to win. It's not about whoever runs the most aggressive campaign. It's all about MGM arts already a gratis, whatever Latin term is art for art's sake. Yes. Right. Yes. I like that the new MGM logo uh, translates that for us. So we know what it means. Yes. Cause none of you fools have studied Latin. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a dead language. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Go to your trad Catholic mass. You'll hear it every week. <laughs> I think my mom goes to that. No. Cool. Well, like once nice. a week. She I, goes, I, she goes every day. I go. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's yeah, hardcore. She, yeah, your mom is super trad. I would oh, go every very day, much so. But, you know, <laughs> I long to be as devout as she is. Yeah, I was telling Brett earlier today that I was kind of apologizing for making him watch the Oscars uh, starting, what was it, two years ago or three years ago, Brett? It was, it was the one for the 2019 movies, two years ago. Okay. Because I'm a big fan of the Oscars, <laughs> at least of watch. I guess I should say big fan of watching the Oscars, <laughs> not necessarily the Oscars themselves, because you can kind of like hate watch it, I guess, and get some enjoyment. At oh, least yeah. I do. Yeah. And you can, you go, which actor is going to go on a dumb rant? Yeah. I've watched every Oscars since at least since 2000. And when I say 2000, I mean the films that came out in 2000. So it was technically in 2001 when Gladiator won since it came out in 2000. But I think I saw the Titanic uh, Oscars, which would have been in 98 for films that came out in 97. And then like also throughout my childhood, I remember, you know, Billy Crystal was host like every other year, him and Steve Martin. So yeah. like, uh, I think I watched some monologues and sketches to some of those earlier 90s shows they just kind of run together. But uh, ever since, you know, for the past 20 years until last year was the first year I did not watch the Oscars because they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have had it. It didn't count. There's barely any fucking movies that came out. I don't like them changing the rules to say like, okay, well, we'll let some people or some films that come out in early 2021 to be considered the 2020 movie to vote on so two months of mm-hmm. mediocre shit right. to try and nominate it just didn't make any sense and it's not at the kodak theater which is strike number two mm-hmm. i can't remember where it was but it was a smaller venue it looked like the golden globes yeah it was just open to the uh the people in the business i don't think they had any like regular people there and then they would put their masks on during the commercial breaks was the, was the thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta stay safe. Well, all of it was very cringeworthy, but they had that really cringy uh, bit where they had Glenn Close know everything about an obscure uh, 80s uh, hip-hop artist that she could just rattle off a bunch of bullet points about him verbatim. And it was like, oh, Glenn Close knows about this obscure artist in the 80s. And oh, of course, tell me all about it and how hip Glenn Close is. Brett's favorite. And then, <laughs> and then um, 
And then it came out like a week later, like, oh yeah, that she they rehearsed that. She didn't know who he was. It's like she rehearsed those lines. Oh yeah. <laughs> I forget who the artist was. It was had to do with one of the nominated films. But yeah, forgettable and like, cringy and oh. It was probably DJ Jazzy Jeff. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I watched I watched like three minutes of the opening segment and like they got right into the politics and I'm like, I'm not watching this. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I don't want to get lectured for the next three hours. Yeah, and they didn't have a host either, right? Mm-mm. No, well, they, they just had all the presenters out there monologuing before they gave out their awards. Yeah. So when I've always watched the Oscars basically because it's well, it's Hollywood's big night, but it's a reflection of where Hollywood and I guess the U.S. film scene at large is at the time. So it's kind of a, a nice like time capsule for the time and place and the films that came out in that era. And I know like you guys will talk about in your show a lot how <laughs> modern movies are all shit. And I would somewhat agree, although I'm more forgiving of more modern films than you guys are, but. It's like there's always iconic moments and like even uh, a more recent example of one is the Moonlight uh, La La Land debacle that I <laughs> think is just fucking hilarious and a great moment in Oscars history, if you will. That's the reason to watch the Oscars is to get those moments. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. you wait for that dumpster fire moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I haven't liked the hosts recently jimmy kimmel is just very forgettable <laughs> yeah exactly thumbs down uh, they haven't had a good host he used, since... to, he used to be kind of funny God. back in the day it's been a long time though in, the, in his man show days <laughs> <laughs> back when he would probably still admit to people that he was friends with adam carolla when he was Carl malone <laughs> yeah when he was carl malone <laughs> <laughs> i i wonder what that friendship is like now Kimmel and Corolla um because you know so many of Corolla's old friends have disavowed him like David Allen Greer um but I know that Jimmy and Adam were very close so I kind of you know but mm-hmm. it just seems like it just seems like Adam is so vocal and Jimmy is so vocal you kind of got to wonder what that dynamic's like if they're still friends or what's going on but I think he does his show i don't know i think I it's safe to up. say they're sleeping in separate beds now yeah yeah i think so um that would make sense yeah i wish they would get ricky gervais to uh host it um that would be incredible i think i watched his golden globes monologue recently again and it's so good mm-hmm. right yeah <laughs> me too <laughs> I can't believe they let him go up there and, and do that. Like, I'm surprised they, they didn't cut his mic. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's a long tradition of good hosts and incredible moments. You know, everything from Benini, you know, jumping on the chairs in the audience. And there's uh, Marlon Brando sending up that native woman in his place to accept that award and dress down the audience. And you like me. You really like me. <laughs> Everybody likes Sally. <laughs> yeah. Except Bert when because she said he might be gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, that's right. Very He was very upset. Yeah. And generally I do like at least some of the movies nominated for best picture. Maybe not my favorites of the year, but like something I could maybe not mind if it wins, you know, especially when they expand it to up to 10 nominees. I could find one or two in there at least that I like. This year, there's a few, but. So is one of them the power of the dog? The power of the dog. Um, no, Jane, Jane Campion's based now. Okay. Jane Campion came out and said that Marvel movies, superhero movies are terrible. She said she hates them. And, and so people aren't, they're not going to know how to react. Yeah, I know. Cause they were all defending her from big, bad Sam, Sam Elliott coming on going. <laughs> now I don't like this lady telling us what the West was like showing up in assless chaps and everybody acting all like a homosexual. <laughs> I just don't like that. And everybody's like, I'm going to get you Sam Elliott and we're going to defend Jane Campion and all these people who love these, these Marvel movies. And she's like, Oh, by the way, I hate Marvel movies. And they're like, what do I, what do, I do? Well, Sam, Sam Elliott was always on those like, universally beloved celebrity list yeah like uh like who's the i forget somebody betty white died and everybody's like who's the next uh universally loved celebrity and sam elliott was on the list until he uh he went on that podcast and started talking about it he went on mark maron and said that like do you think mark maron's audience is gonna agree with you (laughs) (laughs) i watched that movie and like early in the movie i just kept thinking like why did they cast Benedict Cumberbatch to be this tough, like ranch hand guy? Cause he's playing it. Like he's a closeted homosexual and he kind of comes off. Like he wants to fuck his brother. <laughs> and, and then like, by the end, I'm like, Oh, that's why that's <laughs> why they cast him in that role. <laughs> he played it perfectly. <laughs> so that was the intent. They, they, they executed what they wanted to do. Like I, I, I know there was supposed to be a big twist and reveal towards the uh, towards the uh, the middle and end there, but uh, yeah, I, like you could see it coming a mile away. The the only Jane Campion film I've seen is The Piano. I think that's the one everyone's seen. I don't think I've seen anything else from her. Well, that's one of those uh, artsy fartsy Miramax pictures from the nineties. <laughs> oh yeah, it was one of those classy Miramax pictures. It's also one of the very long list of movies where you see Harvey Keitel's penis. Um, but like the movie <laughs> is, it's just I remember I dated this girl back in college, and she I went to like visit her at her parents' house, and like she and her mom sat me down to watch this movie. And it's definitely a movie that is <laughs> motivated by hatred of men. <laughs> like it is, it is a man hating movie. And uh, I just remember they sat me down and watched it and it felt like they were staring at me the whole time. It was very <laughs> awkward. And I just felt like, is this some sort of like, am I being attacked right now? For, like, what's going on? <laughs> is this a test? Uh, it, yeah, it was very strange. And I, I was thinking this is well made, but I I sort of feel like this is some sort of ritual humiliation. I'm undergoing. Right. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, Harvey Keitel's got like, he's like some kind of, uh, he's got like these bizarre face tattoos. That's the main thing I remember from it. But, uh, but I think Anna Paquin didn't, she, isn't she one of the few children to win an Oscar? I think it was for that movie. Maybe. That sounds about right. Yeah. I, I, I know she was at least nominated early on, but I don't know if it was for that. I'm pretty sure it was for the piano. Cause that was one of Harvey's big Oscar push movies. Yeah, Jane Campion. Yeah, this is a, just another shink in the armor, so to say. I mean, she was already being canceled last week for her comments on the Williams sisters. Yeah. And the merits of their career against women. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. And then, you know, she apologized, of course, about a day or two later. Yeah. But the damage was already done in my mind. You do not sully the good name. Mm-hmm. Of right. Williams. King Richard. Yeah. And the legacy he left with Venus and Serena. That's right. With Will Smith. In the 72 page uh, uh, plan from the time they were born. You know, she just doesn't realize we're living in the new Willennium. <laughs> she's uh, she's late to the game. Been doing it since, what, 97? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did she did she insult anything else topical? Um, trying to think. No, not that I know of. Hmm. Just women's athletics and superhero movies. Cape shit. She didn't call Japanese literature overrated. <laughs> Drive my car. Anybody? I did uh, watch that uh, the other day. Spoiler alert. It does not make my top 10 list. That has got to be one of the most boring movies I have ever seen in my fucking life. One of my friends watched it and he said that it's a movie designed to make bug men. Okay. With their wives sleeping with other guys. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What he said. And uh, I, my response to a movie like drive my car, it's written by uh, Murakami. And I am inherently suspicious of authors who name their works after Beatles songs. And this is not the first time he's named a story after a Beatles song. And I, I just don't trust, I don't trust it. Don't trust <laughs> boomers naming stuff after Beatles songs. I don't care if you're from Japan. It's weird. I don't like it. Just, it just, it shows a cultural shallowness, if you will. Yeah. That sounds reasonable. No, I mean, I understand there's, you know, the language barrier. Obviously, I don't know Japanese. Uh, I don't mind. I don't mind watching films with subtitles. Um, in fact, I prefer it to dubbing. Although I'm sure if I watch more martial arts films, I would just worry about the dubbing and not worry about um, subtitles. But uh, with Drive My Car, you know, the performances seem fine to me, but how the fuck do I know? You know, I can hear him talk, but I'm just reading it. It's not like I can get, I can get every inflection <laughs> that they're projecting with their voice. Yeah. I can't really get all the subtleties to their performance. So that's, you already checked that off. Like, well, it's like, uh, it's a movie about the Japanese theater people putting on a production of uncle Vanya. Mm-hmm. So we're several layers of language issues here, Russian, mm-hmm. Japanese, yeah there's korean in there as well oh okay and sign language (laughs) uh there's an actress in the play that is uh 
She's that she's not deaf because she can hear people, but she just can't. She's mute, I guess. Oh, and so okay. she signs her performance. She basically gets her job because her husband is uh, uh, the producer. <laughs> but she won the part outright because the director mm. didn't know it at the time. Ah. But I digress. Oh, uh, another problem with this film is take a guess when the opening credits come on the screen. How many minutes into the film do you think the opening credits come on screen? Is it like a, a departed situation where it's like 20 longer minutes? 41 minutes. What? That's 41 That's minutes. How long is this movie? It's three hours. It's three hours, isn't it? Yeah. For new movies, like they always put the opening credits at the end of the movie now. Yeah. Which bugs the hell out of me. And then it goes into the end credits. <laughs> I'm like, well, what the fuck is the point of that? Just don't even put the opening <laughs> credits in there if you're going to wait that long. <laughs> but to put it like 40 minutes in just seems random. Yeah. Like, like why even bother? It's, a, it's an artsy fartsy. It's an artsy move. You know, it's a flex. Right. I mean, it took me out of the movie. I'm thinking it's 41. I I looked at the, the timestamp on HBO Max is where I watched it. 41 minutes. And I go, why the fuck even have you know opening credits? If it's going to be that late to the movie, why do you need to have some credits on the screen? Either have opening credits at the opening or don't fucking have them. You don't need the opening credits anyways. It <laughs> doesn't even make any sense. So that threw me. I was like, oh, what the hell is this now? This isn't a fucking cold open in a Bond film, okay? And even No Time to Die's cold open was 19, 20, 21 minutes. You know, that, that's like stretching mm-hmm. it, but this one's double that. Yeah. I want to see a movie to wait till after the second act, right before the climax to do the opening credits. <laughs> Edgy, hip. Like like an hour, an hour and 20 minutes in. Now we get to introduce the cast to you. <laughs> <laughs> you're breaking down the barriers and structures of cinema Brett. that's right it's too wild of an idea so yeah the whole thing is just it's way too long there's parts that i found interesting plot wise but it didn't it couldn't make up for three hours of mostly boring shit did it make you want to listen to the beatles uh no <laughs> it didn't mm. Did they even get any Beatles music in there? I think there was uh, one. There's a couple of sex scenes, but not really any any nudity. You know, everything's covered, basically. See, like, you know, the person's back or whatever. It's like, come on, I can't even get any decent smut scenes in this movie. <laughs> Which, yeah, after watching this movie, I realized that there's so many movies that came out in 2021 where the central character is just a huge cuck. Yeah. The major plot points in the movies, like everyone is a fucking cuck. Everybody's cheating on somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of cuckold. They just watched Deep Water, which is technically 2022. But yeah, Ben Affleck just gets cucked the whole movie. <laughs> oh, no. They're punishing him for being in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's yeah. Well, that's a Hulu production. So, yeah, I guess Disney would, would do that. Mm hmm better believe it so yeah i mean drive my car i'm sure if i knew the language i could get some more nuance and if i maybe read the book too i could relate to it more and 
appreciate it more, but uh, there's just no, not doing it. Did you see uh, Coda? Oh, Coda? No, I haven't I, seen Coda. I, I, I heard it's a real either. crowd pleaser, though. I haven't seen that either. I haven't. It wasn't in any of the AMCs around here. And I didn't want to pay to see it. And I don't have yeah. Apple Plus. I do have Apple TV Plus, but I still haven't watched it. <laughs> we actually showed it at my theater, too. So we did have it. But. Power of the Dog, I liked, I guess. Like, I was like, oh, that was decent. But a lot of it is because like the cinematography I thought was incredible. But yeah, like it's not one I would watch again. And just like Elliot after the film, I'm like, there really wasn't any Western in this Western. I'll tell you what, the Western, y'all gonna tell you how the West was. <laughs> Miss me with that gay shit. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't a bunch of naked cowboys grab assing in the river. <laughs> I wonder if he gave a similar interview when Brokeback Mountain came out. Probably. You know, I feel like John mentioned something about that, but I could be I could have imagined that that like, oh yeah, he was saying that, but I can't remember. Yeah, I, I posed this question to you and the MMC fans at large on your uh, Facebook uh, group page about you know what really makes a Western a Western. So uh, I believe, are you on the episode of the new one with Zeldiver and John? Uh, no, I'm not. I was on the Django and Django one, but they did one without me. Okay. So apparently on that one, that'll be coming out soon. Uh, John and Western expert, Eric Zeldiver, are going to kind of talk about power of the dog and what makes a Western a Western. So I'm uh, eager to uh, listen to that. Because after, yeah, after watching Power of the Dog, I was thinking of the movie HUD. Because I love Paul Newman, and I really liked HUD. But I remember thinking, you know, this was not even much of a Western. Mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of has some Western themes. Yeah, he's wearing a cowboy hat. You know, they're raising cattle. But well, it's not really enough for a Western, I guess. And, and that's based on a Larry McMurtry novel. Okay. And Larry McMurtry is a guy who people associate with westerns but i do not believe he writes westerns you know like i don't think hud is a western brokeback mountain which he wrote the script for is not a western you know lonesome dove maybe uh but i don't consider larry mcmurtry to be a western author um you know for what that's worth he's okay I don't know what I'd consider him, but it, like a Texas author, I guess, or Texan. I don't know. But, you know, I kind of associate him more with that with that region than with the Western. I think his work is often mistaken for being Western because it looks the part. All righty. Well, we already talked about Drive My Car and Power of the Dog. Let's talk about a few other nominees, although we almost forgot. You know, we were talking about Oscars and Oscar hosts. We haven't discussed the three newest hosts, Regina King, Amy Schumer, and Wanda Sykes. A trifecta of hosts for this new edition. Has there ever been a trifecta of hosts? They've done a couple of dual hosts when they had uh, James Franco and Anne Hathaway. 
Uh, they did it with, I think, what Billy Crystal and Steve Martin did it together once, didn't they? I think so. Did Robin Williams do it with somebody else? I don't know. That- I don't remember. I think they said this was the first time they had three hosts. Yeah, I thought it was funny that they checked off every woke box for the uh, the new hosts. Yeah, it's kind of insulting. You know? <laughs> well, Amy Schumer, you know, she's got to promote that new show she has on Hulu, Life and Beth. I like how the uh, the tagline for that is something like, um, even unfunny moments are funny or something. So like, you're <laughs> you're you know it's not going to be funny going in, so your expectations are lowered. Oh, Steve Martin and Alec Baldwin. <laughs> they killed it. Yeah. Okay. Well, Alec, Alec did. Mm-hmm. He sure did. Uh, actually, I'm seeing an 87 Chevy Chase, Goldie Hawn, and Paul Hogan hosted the Oscars. And in 80- okay, I knew Hogan did, but I didn't know he did it with anyone else. 86, 86 it says Alan Alda, Jane Fonda, and Robin Williams. Uh. 83, Liza Minnelli, Dudley Moore, Richard Pryor, and Walter Matthau. Maybe they were like tag team in it or something. Wow. Do you know who the first host of the Oscars was? Uh, wasn't it the the president of the Academy? I don't know his name. D- but Douglas Fairbanks and oh. William C. DeMille, brother of Cecil B. DeMille. Damn. One year it was hosted by Frank Capra. What year was it that Fairbanks hosted then? 29. 29. So I thought they had it a couple of years, like without a host. It was like, you know, it wasn't televised. It was a. Yeah, this was when it was, it wasn't even broadcast. Um, like it says, okay. broadcast partners, none. And then it was on AM radio. Was, yeah, yeah broadcast over the radio, of course, mm-hmm. at the time. But, but okay. yeah, it was, it's an industry, it was an industry show, you know, it was for the yeah. industry and now it's for the people now it's for us the unwalk like they always go when is a movie that people like gonna win like spider-man no way home <laughs> right and uh was, you know people saying that spider-man should be nominated for best picture it's just like the biggest eye roll oh i know ever. and it's like you know go go watch the people's choice awards there's a reason it's not relevant yeah, because it's the People's Choice Awards and or the VMAs. Yes, yeah. gosh, or whatever the MTV Movie Awards. Yes. Um, but not that the Oscars do much better lately. And just to add, I thought this was kind of like a weaker year for film. Best Picture nominees: Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza. Nightmare Alley, Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Now, there's a few films in there that I do like. So I can't remember what I said earlier if I wouldn't mind that one of these won, but none of these deserves to win in my mind at all. Well, there's one that I did like quite a bit, but okay, so one, I guess I wouldn't mind. I don't want to spoil my list for later, but... Mm-hmm. I, I will say two of them made my list for top 10. One of them just barely. Yeah, at least two of these made my list. There's, I think just two. There's three on mine, but one of them I don't really like. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And generally, even when there was just five nominees, there was always one or two that either didn't see or didn't care to see, didn't like. But, you know, it's like you go back to 94, would have been in 95, but the pictures, the pictures that came out in 94, you had to choose from Shawshank Redemption, Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump. Uh, what were the other two? Fuck. You know, uh, what do you call a uh, murderer's row? Just yeah. those are some heavy hitters. And you compare um, it to uh, this year, and it's still, I know it, we're still in the remnants of the pandemic, but, you know, a lot of films were just delayed until this year. So there were plenty of films that came out, albeit in, you know, shorter theatrical windows and a lot of them moved to streaming. But Oh, I don't think there was a shortage of films this year necessarily, just a shortage in overall quality, I guess. The two you were forgetting from 94, Four Weddings and a Funeral and Quiz Show. Okay. Um, I haven't uh, actually seen either of those, but I've always heard great things about Quiz Show. Yeah, Quiz Show is one I've always wanted to see. I haven't seen it, but... Yeah, I've, I've seen it. It's pretty solid. But yeah, I think this year was better than last year. Last year, barely was a year i mean it did have (laughs) some amazing like another round thomas venterberg's another round i thought was you know that would be best my favorite movie of the year in a good year um Mm -hmm. but there was just very little to write home about in 2020 um excited for that leo dicaprio remake the leo dicaprio remake of what another round oh there's a dicaprio remake they're doing yeah, he's going to play Mickelson's character. I mean, it could be good, but uh, I like Mads more than Leo. Don't dislike Leo, though. But uh, yeah, and uh, the remake of Rebecca shocked me. I, I thought that would be something to throw in the trash can, and it was quite good hmm. from 2020. Never saw it. The, Who did the that? Kevin James one? Is that the one with Kevin James? No, it's got Army Hammer. Um it's direct. Oh, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Becky. Ah. <laughs> That's what it is. I'm thinking of Becky with the good hair. I don't know. She was a child. <laughs> Not into that. <laughs> Not into James Gunn. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I thought I liked James Gunn movies because I like the Guardians of the Galaxy. And then I realized I don't like James Gunn movies <laughs> when I actually see James Gunn movies. Like Super and uh, Slither. Well, you like Citizen Toxie, Brett. Yeah, but he's just in there. Like, it wasn't like his. Oh, he movie. didn't direct that one? I thought, he, I thought that was like his first film or something. No, those are all Lloyd Kaufman movies. Okay. Yeah. I think he, 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 had a hand in writing Tromeo and Juliet and he I think Terror Firmer was based on I don't think he wrote it but I think it was based on a book he wrote or something he was tangentially involved yeah I haven't I haven't seen either of those ones but yeah Slither I didn't think was great Super is one of those ones that like it's like I've had it on my DVR and I've had it on my favorites list and like I just never watch it because it looks so cheap. It's not. It's another uh, taxi driver remake, but instead of him being a taxi driver, he's a superhero. Yeah, the Suicide Squad was just awful. 
It was terrible. Didn't watch the Peacemaker show. <laughs> I didn't watch the Peacemaker. I, I wouldn't subject myself to that. He was like one of the worst characters in the movie. <laughs> but aren't you a John Cena completist? <laughs> no. I, I'm very disappointed to hear that. I can barely watch him on WWE, and that's what he's supposedly good at. <laughs> what about Chris Jericho? Are you a big Fozzie fan? Well, I don't uh, I don't listen to them a lot, but like, there's quite a few songs that I've heard recently that they did that are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't uh, like I bought their first CD, which was like a parody. Yeah, it was, so it was all it was all covers. Fozzie Fosborn. <laughs> Yeah, it was, he was Mongoose McQueen was his was his name, <laughs> and they're like, and like it came with like a backstory like they're in Japan for all these years and like all these famous bands stole their songs in the eighties, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like Motley Crue and uh, and Motorhead and like all the big uh, you know the Scorpions and stuff, uh, but it was like they just did covers of like popular uh, metal songs from the eighties. So, what do you think is the worst movie to win Best Picture? Um, well, since you bring that up, I'd like to throw something out there. I'd like to go out on a limb and say, you know, every time one of those articles comes out, they always say, what, Crash? And uh, what's the other one? Uh, well, Green Book is the more recent one that everyone hated. Mm-hmm. But uh, I will go on the record and say, I like Crash. Give me Crash. Oh. Over Brokeback Mountain that year. Give me Crash. Brokeback Mountain's ending sucked, I thought. <laughs> Crash was awful. Paul Haggis and Both his prime, of them are dude. <laughs> oh, I'm not a Crash fan. I enjoy I, just, I like the performances in Crash. I like that. I just remember when uh, Ludacris found a van full of Asian people. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good year for Luda. Uh, was that the year that he that uh hustle and flow on best song let's see crash uh yeah that was john stewart that sounds about well right. or was that when no yeah it was that was the year crash won. because the year before was million dollar baby another paul haggis written movie and that movie also is terrible i've never seen it like that's that's one of the eastwood ones that i haven't seen recently don't bash earlier clint come on <laughs> You know, I love Clint, but I cannot abide Million Dollar Baby. <laughs> I that's what that's another movie that I felt cheated. Like, oh, I'm watching a boxing movie. Oh, just kidding. It's about euthanasia. <laughs> I'm just yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> we can still enjoy the first half of it, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that part of the movie's great. Um <laughs> That's one of those movies that's been spoofed to death that I feel like if I watch it, like all I'm going to think of is the spoofs. You know, what's a movie that won best picture that sucks that I hate. I think it might be the worst. Uh, and this is a year that everybody thinks is like the best year ever for movies. Uh, American beauty. I hate that movie. <laughs> that used to be my favorite movie of all time. Really? <laughs> growing, like, growing up. Like when I was, <laughs> I'd say like pre 18 years old i'd say like maybe about 15 mm. to 18 that was my favorite wow movie. i saw when i was 15 and i was blown away probably because i was 15 no wait a second that dude's gay <laughs> <laughs> no fucking way dude wow <laughs> oh my God. 
I still enjoy it, but I really like that the first time I watched it too. I watched it again. Yeah, I watched it again recently. I don't think I like it as much as I did before. It's weird seeing Kevin Spacey, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, he seems kind of out of place mm-hmm. uh, for his role, uh, knowing what we know now. Yes, he does. Um, <laughs> but it's still a pretty solid flick. I think it's still pretty solid. Oh, well, Kevin, wait a oh. second. Kevin Spacey should have been the neighbor. Yes. Yes. That would have made more sense than Chris Cooper. Yeah, I don't I don't consider it uh, a landmark of cinema anymore, but I still do enjoy it and Spacey's performance. Mm. But yeah, it's just weird watching anything Spacey now, especially since he tried to rape a lookalike of me. So it hits home harder. He did. He did. (laughs) He tried to rape a guy that looks just like Eric. (laughs) Wow. Wow. You ever think of that before? I don't know whether to be. No, I'm. I'm gonna. I don't know whether I would be flattered or frightened. <laughs> I would be right in Spacey's wheelhouse if he ever met me. <laughs> yeah. If he had met you 20 years ago, it'd have been perfect. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll agree with that. <laughs> what was it? Road trip. It was road trip the movie that he was in? And I, I, I watched it. I came into work the next day. I'm like, dude, I didn't know you were in road trip. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Rapp, I'm just a dead ringer for that dude. It's crazy. More so road trip than Days of Confused. Yes. For pretty obvious reasons with the hair and the glasses and whatnot. But you know who needs a renaissance? Speaking of road trip, is Tom Green. We need to bring back Tom Green. Now, where's he been at? I go down the rabbit hole about once every year or so of uh YouTube videos of him. Especially when he's like interviewing Norm McDonald or something on his <laughs> his home TV show. I just remember when I was in high school, he was the edgy comedy guy. You know, like the Tom Green show was huge. Mm-hmm. He was doing Road Trip and Freddie Got Fingered. And he was just the biggest thing. And he was dating uh, what Drew Barrymore. And it's just, yeah, you yeah. know, he got married. Yeah. One of the many people to be married to Drew Barrymore. <laughs> it's like a, it's a sign you've arrived in hollywood you've married drew barrymore like justin long when he when he arrived it was like ah, i married drew barrymore that's a sign that you've arrived and that you're going to be a has-been <laughs> drew dumps you well it's because she's hollywood royalty yeah yeah i'm sure lionel barrymore hosted the oscars once let's find out <laughs> no that's beneath him you gotta try and extend that barrymore bloodline yeah yeah, I mean, you don't want this Hollywood bloodline to die out. She needs to have a kid who burns out on drugs at 10 and then reforms her way. <laughs> Top five bloodlines. We got the Barrymores. We got the Coppola's. Uh, Tippy Hedren, you know, Griffith, Johnson, mm-hmm. that uh, whole crew. The Capras are a low-key bloodline, you know, like in the producing okay. behind-the-scenes world. God, who else am I thinking of? Well, I guess I don't know if the Arquettes were, they weren't a, a long line, but maybe the, the Clooney line. Yeah. So Miguel Ferrer and Clooney. Yeah. And then who else? Fuck. The Wayanses. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, they got to have some, they got to start pumping out some kids, some Wayans younglings. Well, they got at least two generations now. Yeah, they do with the Damon Wayans Jr. That's right. I think that one of the daughters was in there too. 
Okay. I, I think the Mankiewicz clan counts. You know, you've got Herman and Joseph and, you know, uh, what's his name on TCM now? Uh, yeah. Ben. Ben Mankiewicz. Yeah. You know, they're, the Mankiewicz family looms large over Hollywood. And now to bring it back to 2021, we have a new bloodline with the Hoffman bloodline, the Philip Seymour Hoffman and his uh, son. What's his name? Cooper yep. for licorice pizza. Yes. Cooper, which I have not seen the, I walked out of um, inherent vice. Yeah. I, I couldn't stand it. And I didn't see phantom thread, but apparently licorice pizza is really good. Like I've have some friends who I kind of trust their taste who are talking it up and saying it's the best movie nominated for best picture. So I don't know. I might check it out. I liked Inherent Vice. It was probably my least favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film until I saw Licorice Pizza. Oh, wow. I still like Licorice Pizza. It was good, but it's my least favorite of all the PTA films. So, yeah, I didn't care much for Heart Eight. I know he does, he's kind of disowned it, um, but uh, and The Master is one I didn't like when I first saw it, but it has grown on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's actually a pretty interesting film. And a very yeah. good performance yeah. from Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I guess we could start to get into our top 10 of 2021 here. I think we talked about the Oscars long enough, unless there's anything else you guys want to bring up. Well, you can predict who do you guys think is going to win best picture? Um, if I, I, you know, I don't, I, I, this is hard. I don't know which one because there's nothing that seems like a clear thing. Power of the Dog's been getting a lot of buzz, you know, but I don't think it's going to be something like West Side Story or Coda or Dune. I honestly don't know. It's such a weird few years that it's hard to pre- Parasite kind of mm-hmm. seemed like an obvious one because there was so much buzz around it. Um, yeah. But the one I see, the thing is, is I kind of Usually, whatever one you're seeing the most in the press is the one that wins. Um, and Power of the Dog is in the press a lot. But they're kind of playing these victim games, too. Like, was it the star of West Side Story wasn't invited? And there was this big yeah. hoopla. Now she's invited. And it, it all... Paul Schrader was on Facebook saying this is all kind of media stunts to get attention. And they'll take any, any slight, like Sam Elliott trashing power the dog to run with it but i've been seeing power the dog in the press a lot which kind of makes me lean towards that one Mm -hmm. but i really don't know um it's a weird year that's who i think is going to win it uh power the dog do you know when they stop voting when the votes have to be in by i don't because that would like matter a little bit in terms of you know the recent small controversies with jane campion you know, obviously the Sam Elliott thing, that's like a month ago. Yeah. So people are going to be voting on that. But this newer stuff, I don't think it would be enough to take her out of the race, but it would definitely affect it. And maybe one of these uh, other ones, like, um, I don't know, maybe Licorice Pizza or West Side's, well, you know, Belfast or Drive My Car. I thought maybe that one could kind of sneak in after the floodgates were opened by Parasite. Yeah, you know, it might follow the trend of of giving it to 
movies made outside of Hollywood uh, and outside of America. But yeah. I, I just don't see West Side Story doing it. That movie kind of just didn't do anything like nobody seemed to care. Um, yeah. Don't look up. There's people a couple like, of those on this list. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Same with me. Don't look up. I mean, people like to signal with that one, but I'm, I'm guessing power the dog. What do you think, Brett? I mean, that sounds reasonable. I'm thinking based on, I don't know, like, like you mentioned, when did they cut off the voting? Because I'm looking at this list and I'm seeing that Belfast could be an allegory for what's going on in the Ukraine and that uh, people might vote that in as a, uh, mm. an analogy to current world events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what else. Nothing really stands out. Yeah, Power of the Dog probably seems like the most likely, like Hunter said. So Belfast is your dark horse? I would say Belfast is the dark horse. Yeah. <laughs> Belfast is definitely a movie made for award season. Um, and it celebrates yeah. Hollywood, too, because they go see Chitty Chitty Bang Bang during mm, it. Mm, very. And it's in black and white. Yes. With, uh, with some exceptions. Um, but yeah. 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 That could be a dark horse for sure. Um, but, you know, just the stories about power of the dog are relentless. That's why for me. Also, also, they got that Florida bill they could rally against too. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. The perfect timing. Mm-hmm. What about you, Eric? Did you, did you pick a, did you pick one? I think he said power. Yeah, of the dog. I think it's going to be power of the dog. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get into our top ten favorite films of 2021. I'll preface my list by rattling off a couple of movies that I didn't see that I think could be contenders to be on my list. I guess uh, Belfast. I think I might like that one, but I never, I never saw it. Um, also, another one uh, that I missed that I really want to see is Annette. From uh, Leos Carax. Is that how you pronounce mm. his name? Leos Carax, I think. Carax, yeah. Yeah. His, uh, his last film, uh, Holy Motors, I loved. I think that was in 2012 or 2013. Yeah, that's a great film. Uh, and um, have you seen uh, uh, Mauvais Sang? Uh, no. Film? no. Uh, that movie has one of my favorite little sequences. He always puts um, what Denis Levant in his yeah, films his name. Yep. and uh you know he's in holy motors and he's playing the accordion and he's always got a dance thing but there's this scene in movai sang where he's running to modern love by david bowie that's just okay. such a wonderful scene it's just so mm. good it's it just it, you get the kind of energy from it you get from like godard's uh breathless it's just you know okay. it's got this pop youthful vibe that just you, you can't get over but there's a whole genre of Denis Levant dancing in movies. Like if you watch Claire Denis' uh, Beau Travail, there's this ama- it ends with Denis Levant da- doing this crazy dance in Djibouti. It's freaking nuts. You know, I just, I don't know hmm. what it is. Nice. But I think she must have been inspired by the Carax films. I'll check that out. Oh, okay. So yeah, that one I think uh, could make my list, um, especially since yeah, Holy Motors was definitely my top three from that year. Can't remember what place it would have been in we didn't have a show at that time but anywho uh there's a couple others i didn't see i really think can't really think of right now but maybe we'll get to it later but um 
so yeah, we'll start at 10, go around in a circle. We'll go all the way down to one. So, uh, yeah, let's start with our guest. What is your 10th favorite movie from 2021? All right. My 10th favorite movie is one. Let me make sure my list is right here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. My 10th favorite movie is one that I did not necessarily like very much, um, but it was an interesting trip down late 90s memory lane, and that was Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Rage. Any of you see that? Hmm. I have not. It was on HBO Max, and it was... Do any of y'all remember Woodstock 99? That was the Woodstock that went particularly bad. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but it's a documentary of that festival. And basically, you know, that was, a fe- that was the year that like Kid Rock played there and Metallica and uh, Limp Bizkit and Corn, And there was a riot that broke out during the Limp Bizkit show. And that band caught a particularly intense amount of heat for it. But the, the festival ended in like a huge riot with like people burning down, like ripping apart stages and burning stuff. And there were a lot of rapes and some people died. Uh, and it was just a it was just a disaster. But mm. but the uh, the thing that I thought was interesting about it was it did highlight some um, some of the problems with the original Woodstock, that there was a lot of unrest and problems there that just kind of got papered over by the movie. And, um, but this one was particularly blew up in a way that was really bad. And, uh, but the problem I have with it is a lot of the people interviewed are modern journalists for Rolling Stone who are more worried about the typical kind of woke stuff that modern people who write music blogs are worried about. And it doesn't really add anything to the proceedings. It doesn't really bring any new insights on the matter and that was you know there's just a lot of people who have no business commenting on this stuff that are invited to comment you know i want to hear from people who were there people who organized the festival that stuff's great but a lot of the people who weren't there who are younger than me they should not they they don't remember this event at all and they're coming in and explaining to us why xyz is problematic and a lot of it's the stuff that's not particularly um the stuff that matters like you know the violence rape and murder it's they're they're worried about you know the 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 tone of things mm-hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> what this 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 rapper said this and that was problematic and you know therefore xyz happened it's just right. kind of these silly narratives but it's an interesting documentary i, I just remember when woodstock 99 happened and it it was a it was a big thing. So it, anyway, it was interesting, um, but I didn't necessarily think it was a good movie. But it was one that stuck with me through the year. All right, okay, Brett, what's your number ten? My number ten is King Richard. That was my number. It's my number seven. All right, so King Richard, uh, directed by. Ronaldo Marcus Green, starring Will Smith, Andrew Ann Ellis, John Bernthal, Sonia Sidney, Demi Singleton, Tony Goldwyn, 
Michaela Lachey and Danielle Lawson. Synopsis, a look at how tennis superstars Venus and Serena Williams became who they are after the coaching from their father, Richard Williams. I thought this was a welcome return to form for Will Smith because uh, he's kind of been absent for about 20 years or so. Yeah, I remember in the, it started in the 90s, about 95. Every summer he had like the biggest hit basically. Started with Bad Boys in 95, 96 is Independence Day, 97 Men in Black, uh, 98 was, I believe, Enemy of the State, 99 had, uh, was when he, Wild Wild West in there. Yeah, that was, that was 99 because he screwed up and turned down Matrix to go. Oh, that's right. Do Wild Wild West. <laughs> so yeah, he did Wild Wild West in 2000. Uh, Ali might have been 2001. It was 2000 or 2001 when Ali came out. And then uh, Bad Boys 2 was 02. Um, and then it was kind of like a steady decline. He did more, I guess, uh, awards bait type films and roles with Pursuit of Happiness and Seven Pounds. And Pursuit of Happiness was a big hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seven Pounds was where... I think you could see a marked decline because, okay. Well, okay. So you had Will Smith in pursuit of happiness. He did. I am legend and Hancock. Um, Hancock is terrible. just awful, but like hitch, that was a big movie. Um, Shark yeah. tale. But mm-hmm. I think with seven pounds, he was reunited. I think with the director of pursuit of happiness and that one just did not take. And because I remember when Pursuit of Happiness came out, there were articles about how Will Smith was the most reliably bankable star in Hollywood. But when Seven Pounds mm-hmm. came out, it was like, oh, here's a Will Smith flop. And then he's going and doing um, stuff like he did Men in Black 3, After Earth. Do you remember After Earth? Like, oh, boy. Yeah. That was a Shyamalan. Yeah, it was. Kid. Yeah. It, and that one was widely mocked. Um he did uh focus like did anybody watch focus that trailer was just no horrible and uh you know and i think when he did gemini man yeah (laughs) gemini man uh but he did uh suicide squad and i remember thinking oh will smith isn't a movie star anymore or he's not a draw anymore because he's doing an ensemble superhero thing and i was like this would have been beneath him a few years ago like in 2007 yeah that doing that movie would have been dumb but dc had such big things planned for him yeah and then it just went nowhere Mm -hmm. and mahamada basically fucked everything up yeah but so yeah i think this this movie is kind of a big rehabilitation for will smith because you know he did small roles in like aladdin well you know he was genie or whatever but uh but you know bad boys for life did anybody watch that? I don't know. Yeah, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't, you know, anything great. It was nice to, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's just nice to know that Martin Lawrence is still alive and with us yeah. in, in a movie. <laughs> Someone's given him work. <laughs> you know, he's he's made amends with the Illuminati. Yeah, he was in the beach bum, which was like the first thing I saw him in in probably 15 years. Then he did Bad Boys for Life. 
which was decent. Like I remember like the first 20 minutes, I was like, this isn't going to go so well. And then it got a little better and it ended fine. It was enjoyable enough. Okay. But um, with Will Smith, it's good to see him back in a, in a, in a good performance. And I think he probably could have gotten his, his comeback with, you know, there's a lot of rumors about Django Unchained. Mm-hmm. He was originally going to be Django, and then he backed out because he wanted to be the one that uh, shot Calvin Candy, mm. uh, Leo's character. He thought that needed to be done by Django. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he was, it's kind of like The Rock, you know, he's, his movies are his brand. Yeah. Right. You got to sell your brand, not the character of the movie as much as the brand. Yeah. Good luck getting that with Quentin. Yeah, you can't have the supporting character kill off the, the big bad guy in your film. It's going to be, you know, your brand. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I've heard even Quentin say that, uh, no, it was always Jamie Foxx. I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. There was a lot of smoke uh, about that casting when it was uh, coming out. Yeah, um, I've heard that as well. And I know there was meetings between uh, him and, and Tarantino because I remember after it was noted that he passed or wasn't going to be involved in it. He talked about how great of a script it was and it's going to be a great film. So it's, he definitely knew he'd seen the script. He had probably talked to Quentin about it, uh, probably brought up his reservations that he had with the role. Wanted it to change to, you know, fit his brand. And Tarantino's like, no, I'll just get Jimmy Fox. (laughs) Tarantino's not down with the new willennium. (laughs) <laughs> yeah he wasn't into the big willy style you know no not at all he wanted his oh. own style exactly so yeah uh i thought he was perfect in this in this film i mean putting aside the richard williams in real life like some of like because the movie kind of ignores his his first family that he ignores <laughs> his you know his whole life basically <laughs> It's mentioned in passing, (laughs) kind of towards the end of the movie. Like I agree. Like like oh yeah, he had like a whole other family before this one, (laughs) right? That's one thing that surprised me was how positive they portray Richard Williams in this movie. Like the whole thing is is basically they they give him credit for like everything that Venus and Serena accomplished Mm -hmm. in their whole lives. Um. And I guess like there's some things where he comes off as overbearing or over controlling, um, but it's not shown negatively, like him holding them out of competition for like five years, or you know, switching their coaches and and things like that. Um, and uh, I agree, Will Smith was fantastic in the role. Um, he actually. The way he uh, he did the uh, the voice, it just reminded me of Dusty Rhodes. Like that's all I could think <laughs> of was Dusty Rhodes, because <laughs> <laughs> they kind of talk the same way. But uh, I saw it in a in a pretty full theater, almost sold out theater, and the crowd was pretty rowdy, um, relatively speaking. But it was especially uh, especially when the mother would speak up. Uh, it was the crowd was really behind the mother character, um, the the wife of Richard Williams. Anytime she put her foot down, that crowd was like, "You go, girl!" You know, shit like that. <laughs> like, you tell them. 
So uh, I think that added to the experience for sure. But uh, yeah, definitely a great movie. Um, uh, all things considered for the, the year we're speaking of. Yeah, I just thought, you know, the half truthfulness, I guess, about the, the father's second family, you know, putting that aside, I still think Richard uh, Williams is a fascinating character. And uh, yeah, Will Smith was perfect in the role. I mean, he gave, he uh, he fathered the two biggest tennis stars in the world. Who could say that? Not according to Jane Campion. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, now we're going to move on to my number 10, which is Army of the Dead. On any of your lists? Army of the Dead is on my list. That one, that one just number? missed mine. That's what number? Army of the mm-hmm. Dead is number two for me. Oh boy! Ooh. Army of the Dead. Take it away, Direct- Hunter. Directed by Zack Snyder, starring Dave Bautista, Ella Purnell, Amari Hardwick, Anna de la de la Reguera, uh, Matthias Schweighofer. There's a lot of people in this movie, but Zack Snyder pulling triple duty. He's story, screenplay, and cinematography. Okay. Snyder is a Chad director because he's his own DP. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this one came out on Netflix. This was kind of that 2021 was the year of Zack. You know, Snyder yeah, went into yeah. exile when, you know, um, he had the tragedy with his daughter and DC basically defiled and desecrated justice league. And this year we got justice league and he got a new movie, uh, army of the dead on Netflix that, you know, has also had spinoffs and yeah, I, I thought it was, you know, the zombie genre is something I've been over for a very long time. I think I stopped watching zombie movies around when walking dead premiered, uh, I remember seeing the first few episodes of walking dead and going, I don't care. This is, I've seen this all before. This sucks. I'm moving on. But uh, army of the dead, I thought was kind of a refreshing spin on zombie stuff. Uh, You know, doing a heist movie, the zombies are different, you know? uh, And I just thought it was a great deal of fun. And I hope it wins the Oscar fan favorite this year uh, just to give Zach an Oscar just to piss off all the haters out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but what did you think? Uh, I, th- I thought it was great. Um, like I said, it just missed my list for all the reasons that you said. Um, just a different type of zombie movie. It felt different in a good way. Did you see the uh, the Army of Thieves? Not yet. Uh, I might be spoiling your list. but uh, No, I haven't seen it yet. So That one I, I really enjoyed too um it's it's kind of a prequel about the uh the safe cracker mm-hmm. character yeah i got i picked up that just from the poster and it's uh it's really funny there's a lot of really funny stuff in it um and then it ties back together with the uh the beginning of army of, of the dead sweet so i would recommend that um and i they're making sequels and uh i think the sequels probably going to be just as good yeah and uh i also kind of liked how 
how bleak it it decided to go all in on like bleakness at the end. <laughs> like I did not expect the movie to end the way it did. Like it definitely confounded my expectations. The only drawback is uh, the the replacement for Chris DeLeo. Oh, because you could tell you could tell they wrote it specifically for him, mm-hmm. and then they they picked what was her Tigna, name? Tig Nataro. Yeah, and she's like a completely different type of actor. Yeah, comedian. Yeah, um, yeah, because Chris D'Elia got canceled, and they basically green screened her in. She didn't act with any of those people in the film. There was yeah. like one person I think who showed up to do a scene with her, and that's it. Um, but yeah, wow. But yeah, she definitely feels like she's not. She doesn't have those people to react to (laughs) that is one of the the things about the movie that's kind of patchwork covid era patchwork you know you you could tell that the lines are were written for chris because he's more of an over-the-top sarcastic actor and then she read it like deadpan yes she's very and it doesn't work the same (laughs) but and and her her not being in there you could kind of tell Uh, so that was like the one the one negative yeah um, that I took from no, that. I I agree. Also, uh, Hiroyuki Sonata is in there. Forgot he's in the film. Uh, the Japanese actor who was in Ring and uh, Last Samurai and some other stuff recently. Um, but he plays the Japanese businessman who sends them on the the, the, the heist. You know. Okay. Yeah, I thought Tignataro was the worst part of the movie. Not necessarily just like you said that for reasons maybe above her control. You know mm-hmm. that she couldn't give the a great performance, but I gotta tell you that fake cigar smoke, the CGI cigar smoke, bothered the fuck out of me the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't stand it. It was yeah. so annoying. So, do you think that was just because they had to like green screen her in, like they couldn't use? Because at first I was thinking, like, why, why the hell couldn't she just smoke like an herbal cigar or something? You know? Yeah, I don't know if it's because of. It could be because she didn't want to smoke. I don't know. You know, um, that's but... that's what I would uh, assume that she just didn't want to smoke. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? All those people <laughs> in Mad Men for seven years just smoking <laughs> herbal heaters all day, every day. Like you can't buck up and not, not even inhale. It's a fucking cigar. Just puff it in and out. It's not that difficult. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. Yeah. Hollywood's weird about smoking, man. You know, they've really tried to eliminate it from movies well that's why that movie got an r rating because it has depictions of tobacco use yes very very <sighs> serious stuff <laughs> we can promote every behavior except that like you can you can be a five-year-old child watching your uh, your mom smoke in the front seat of the car as she drives you to school every day but mm-hmm. uh you can't see it in the movies yep Nope. But yeah, that's my spiel on Army of the Dead. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like what you guys said. It was a, it was a fun film that thought improved as it went along. It was a little derivative, like in terms of the zombie stuff. There's a lot of things that I felt were very predictable. The heist aspect is a kind of a different, you know, wrench to throw in, which is nice. But I think it really benefits from, you know, Snyder's style. And as, as you said, Hunter, his, uh, his eye for the camera is, uh, so he was working the camera on this one. As he usually mm-hmm. does. He's pretty much always uh, working the camera on his films. Um, and he knows how to make a zombie movie. You know, we know that. And I think on the next, he's going to be shooting his next film too. He's his own DP um, 
on Rebel Moon. Okay. So, and there was also, there was a couple of jaw-dropping set pieces, I thought, specifically the helicopter fall or drop, oh, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Uh, that was incredible. And there was like CGI used, which was, you know, it's, it's rare that I enjoy an action set piece as much as that uh, when it's like heavily CGI infused, you know? Yeah. So that speaks to uh, Snyder's skill as well. And then, see, you know, I probably gave it a, a knocked off a half star for Tignataro's cigar smoke, but I'll give it that half star back from their use of the cranberries at the end. Oof. <laughs> Perfect song. <laughs> yes. People hated that. And I'm like, that's like one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Love the placement of yeah. it. Love the song. Yeah. I forgot that uh, or Reardon. Dolores O'Riordan, is that her name? I th- I'm not sure. Um, it's like O'Riordan. I have it written down. It's O-R-I-O-R-D-O-N. Dolores O'Riordan. Dolores O'Riordan. She died of an accidental drowning due to uh, alcohol intoxication in a London hotel room in January 2018. But I completely forgot about that because the Cranberries are one of those 90s bands that I loved. More so because it's like in 94, I was eight. So it's not like I was buying Cranberries records, but it was the CDs that my oldest brother was buying and playing in the morning, playing Nirvana, uh, this, like all the 90s alt rock stuff. That's kind of like when I heard it, he'd put it on while he's getting ready for school in the morning. So I'd hear Nirvana and the Cranberries and all that stuff kind of took me back. But yeah, I loved uh, Zombie and Linger and all that shit from the mid 90s. When I worked at JC Penny, they played Linger about twice an hour every hour. <laughs> and you're you have PTSD from this. <laughs> well, Zombie, the, the song Zombie, I associate more now with uh, the UFC fighter, the Korean Zombie, because he uses that as his walkout music. Nice, but uh, but I thought it fit perfectly yeah. for for Army of the Dead. Uh, and people are like, it's too on the nose. It's too obvious. Like, Zach, so what? It fucking fits. Zach has a great ear for music in his films. He always uses pop music very well. Like when he used Richard Cheese's Down with the Sickness and Dawn of the Dead. Yes. That was great. Yes. All right. Hunter, what is your number nine? Number nine is another movie I didn't like very much, but I included it because it had impressive action scenes. This is, this is a movie I really don't like. I, I feel ashamed to have this on my list, but I have to give props. I did enjoy the action scenes, seeing it in the theater, and that was No Time to Die. Not okay. on my list. Yeah. Um, uh, it's on my, I guess, honorable mentions, but yeah, it's okay, Hunter. I'll, I'll save you a little bit here and say that I like this movie. <laughs> Not a ringing endorsement, but I do like it. It's too long. It's my fourth favorite Craig. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as Craig goes, I liked Casino Royale. I like Skyfall. Didn't mm-hmm. care much for Spectre. I liked the cold open. That was about it. Um, mm-hmm. Quantum of Solace should not exist. Everyone always tells me I got to revisit that and that it's, you know, it's ahead of its time. It's an art film. It's the James Bond art film, it's the art house, James Bond film that you, that you didn't know you needed. You know? I don't buy it, but I've watched it since then, like twice. And I'm just like, no, no, it's just not good. There's no way. I'm sorry. That movie is incomprehensible garbage. Yeah. Um, 
No Time to Die, I just I thought it had very good action scenes and there's a lot of great stunt work that took my breath away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's too long. Remy Malik should be a good James Bond villain. He has kind of a Peter Laurie type quality, but he's just not used well in this film. Yeah. And I and I just I don't like what they how they chose to end it. Um, I don't think that's a move you make in a James Bond movie, but I guess they want the Craig films to be its own contained thing. I don't know. Yeah. But you could kind of tell Kerry Fukunaga who directed it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't do the rundown on um, who did it, but it was directed by Kerry uh, Joji Fukunaga. And you could tell when he was giving interviews that he wishes he had had more time to finish it to do it properly but i just i think it's a i think this film is kind of a sign of where our culture is is that we make james bond movies because that's what audiences want and expect but we have an inferiority complex about it we feel guilty for making james bond films we feel like we're participating in you know white supremacy or something maybe by making James Bond movies. So they feel mm-hmm. the, the movie feels like it's ashamed to exist. And that's not a good, it's not, you don't get anything. It, it, you can just kind of tell the movie doesn't, it, it wants to, to absolve die. themselves of Sean Connery's sins, right? Yeah. It just, it feels, right. it feels like it's apologizing the whole time for existing. And it follows this trend of, you know, killing off our our heroes to you know for a better tomorrow like logan uh was as one that leaps to mind where avengers the avengers yeah exactly we're gonna kill off all the heroes and you know these they're going to nobly die so that they can make way for the next generation you know we're gonna you know we're sorry that we'll do better and by start to start we'll die that's and i i you know that's not I don't I don't think the future of this series is bright. Let's put it that way. But yeah, that's my spiel. Sounds good. Uh, Brett, what's your number nine? My number nine is Zack Snyder's Justice League. That's on my list. Is it number one for you? El El numero uno. (laughs) Zack Snyder's Justice League. It was my number six. Mm. Well, I'll take the reins then, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, you know, I can't believe this This got released. Uh, directed by Zack Snyder, screenplay by Chris Terrio. No Joss Whedon, sorry. Starring Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Gal Gadot, um, Ray Fisher, Jason Momoa, Ezra Miller, Willem Dafoe. Jesse Eisenberg, Jeremy Irons, Diane Lane, J.K. Simmons, Connie Nielsen. And uh, we also get, for the first time, an actor playing the, the, the Jared Leto Joker redemption arc. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I, I did not think this movie would ever see the light of day. I thought it would stay a meme. But it was it was honestly, its release was one of the more how should I put it? Uh, it gave me hope for the future that mm-hmm. justice league in this form came out and it was actually this good. Like all the people who were 
saying this is never coming out. And by the way, it, it would, it's going to be terrible. And Zack Snyder's a talentless hack and you should just shut up and like your Marvel movies and you should uh, enjoy your, you know, you should enjoy your boss lady Cape Cape crap. Um, this, this came out and it, it just proved them all wrong. And mm-hmm. I was, I, I couldn't believe just how good it was and how it, it made Warner brothers look so stupid that they took this film and traded it for the movie they released. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, these people run Hollywood. These people make the decisions for what entertainment we get. The only reason it came out was that AT&T said, a lot of people are talking about this on the internet. Why aren't you putting it out? We, we write your checks. You better do it. Um, and watching mm-hmm. the studio flail in the press and act like, um, this is the end of Zach's trilogy. And we were looking forward to moving forward with, you know, JJ Abrams Superman movie and the Batman and all that stuff. You know, this is just a, a, you know, I, I am one of the biggest people who whines about superhero movies. I thought this was a great film. You know, I'm putting a superhero movie at the top, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my, it's my little spiel on it, but I just, I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah, I could see it moving up farther in my list uh, if I once I watch it again. But um, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. It's it's so refreshing to know that we can actually affect what movie studios do and that they'll actually listen to us. Sort of, you know, vote with your dollar. That's what I always try to do. Going because I can see pretty much any movie for free at the theater I work at. You know, this wasn't shown in theaters, but there's certain Mm -hmm. films that I'll always go to, a, you know, pay for a ticket in the theater because of the director or, you know, it's a film I really care about. I want to try and vote with my dollar. Well, with this film, he kind of had to vote online on Twitter, basically, and just become a nuisance. And I did two things. One was obviously we got this amazing comic book movie, maybe one of the, it's definitely one of the best comic book movies ever made. But it also did a second thing. Uh, it was actually a good thing that we got the theatrical cut because it helped end Joss Whedon's career. So oh, yeah. we kind of got the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Around that time is when he started getting that flack for, he had that Batgirl uh, screenplay that leaked. And everyone's like, oh God, this is just like misogynistic trash. Just terrible. And then, yeah, and then this came out and it was just like, oh yeah, he doesn't, uh, uh, I guess, write women as well as we all thought he did, did he? You know, he isn't some <laughs> feminist hero that we should all praise. A few years before that, you know, Joss Whedon's the hero to all women, but his wife or ex-wife or someone came out and said that he was constantly cheating on her with fans and with actresses. And she was just like, if you mm-hmm. support women, why would you support a guy who treats them like sex objects? You know, so, you know. And, yeah. then, and then everybody came out and talked about like what an asshole he was on his past projects, <laughs> especially to women. And it's like, yep, like you said, like he was like the feminist, you know, girl power uh, dude in Hollywood for years. And and then and then everything was just a lie. Everything. And even Sarah Michelle Geller was throwing him under the bus. Uh, I think I saw today she was saying that, oh, the set on Buffy was toxic and we were pitted against each other and you know, and all that. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I just remember he was the, you know, 
the here the hero the for feminism you know they all every girl was like oh yeah i love firefly and buffy and blah 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 right Mm -hmm. it's it's always the case they you know turns out these people who push push a lot of that stuff turns out that they're hiding something you know (laughs) compensating for something and uh, also uh, go ahead oh it's gonna say looking at how two he completely deleted Ray Fisher from that movie almost like, you know, that guy's story mm-hmm. was totally neutered. And a lot of people were acting like, Oh, he's a, being a prima Donna. And then you watch the film and you go, Holy crap. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course he should be pissed. Yeah. Snyder's responsible for making cyborg. Well, along with Ray Fisher, uh, making cyborg a character I actually cared about. Yeah. I didn't know shit about Cyborg. Me neither. And even in the trailers. Mm -hmm. um, Of course, that was a a Joss trailer that we first saw. And I was like, I don't give a shit about Cyborg. You know, who is this guy? You know, it's just give me the Trinity and Flash. That's all I need. I don't, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not a big Aquaman guy either, but Jason Momoa is, you know, great as Aquaman. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then I was so surprised at how much I connected with the, uh, cyborg storyline and how much i liked it mm-hmm. and how it was it was so yes. shocking how it was just completely cut out yep. of the theatrical cut because it's yeah. probably the strongest part of the film i think yeah it is sure it is but uh also snyder gets uh i should praise him for making a a four-hour film that's palatable and yeah briskly paced i watched it in one sure. sitting yeah, uh, wife and I, we watched it. We were expecting to, we were going to watch one half one night, then the other, the second half the second night, because we knew it was kind of split apart by the hour. Part one, two, three, and four, they're all about an hour in length. And we got to the end of part two and we're like, oh, let's just keep watching. And then in part three, yeah, let's just, let's just finish it. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was the same way. I was like, I'm going to take a break about halfway through and no. I can't turn this off. There's no way I got to see what happens next. Yeah. I had the same experience. As you said, this is uh, it is, I mean, we could say it should be the year of Zack Snyder, but it kind of is as well, even though the Oscars aren't really going to acknowledge it. It doesn't matter because we got a major film studio to admit that they made a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. So hopefully yeah. uh, discovery will rectify uh, that mistake and mm-hmm. restore the Snyder verse restore the Snyderverse, and they have to rehire Ray Fisher. Yes, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't think it would work yeah. out too well if they're like, "Okay, Snyder, you can come back and make Justice League two and three, but uh, Cyborg's not here anymore." <laughs> I don't right. think it works. Like, no, no. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I, I actually wasn't one of the people who was like into the uh, the Snyder cut. Like, I didn't think it was going to happen. And then I was one of the people that, well, how good could it be? I saw the original the theatrical one. That sucked. Um, but then, like, when they started releasing trailers and, like, you saw the new, like, Steppenwolf CGI and you saw how everything looked so different. Uh, and then once you get into it, it's like it's a completely different movie, mm-hmm. completely different tone. It just... It, it connects you on a, a much deeper level with the characters. There's much more relatable storylines. 
And uh, yeah, definitely one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. So yeah, for sure. Top 10 of the year. Yep. So what number was it for you, uh, Brett? That was my number nine. We're okay. uh, we're really dragging here. So yeah, we have crossover. They'll speed us up, though. All right. So that was your nine. Uh, my my number nine. Pig. Hmm. You listen? I missed that one. When uh, that, that's uh, just off my list. Okay. Um, I'll give you the details here. So is directed by uh, Michael Sarnaski, starring Nicolas Cage, Alex Wolf, Adam Arkin, Cassandra Violet, Julia Bray. Synopsis, a truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregon wilderness must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. So saw the trailer, was immediately intrigued. Like an indie Nick Cage film where he is assaulted and his pig is stolen, his prized pig. <laughs> so bizarre. And right. I think the trailer misrepresented it. And I think that's that's kind of like their marketing strategy. Like, okay, let's just present this nutso Nick Cage film to try and uh, increase the ticket sales here. But mm-hmm. what the film actually is is still a great film. Nicolas Cage's performance is... One of his best, I would say, you know, it's a return to form, but uh, I don't care what anyone says. He never left. Okay. You can watch any of those shitty VOD movies he makes, and he's still giving it 110%. Now they may be bad movies, but um, he does. He never mails it in. No, he, I'm actually surprised that he didn't get nominated for best actor this year for that. Cause it's, yeah. it's, I think when we talked about it on the show, like after I saw it, that, uh, I said, it was like, it's weird that Nick Cage just showed up and was like, I'm going to fuck around and give an Oscar worthy performance this time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like, I'm just going to act really, really good for this movie. Uh, like a, a great dramatic performance. You know, I don't think Nick Cage could ever be accused of mailing it in. I think even in his, even in the worst movies, like, you know, Willie's Wonderland or something, he's still showing up to play, you know? Yeah, I've been meaning to watch that. I've I've seen many extremes of people that hate it like you and people that love it on Letterboxd. I see I see both opinions. Oh, it's awful. Okay. <laughs> it's like Five Nights at Freddy's the movie, but less entertaining. <laughs> uh see, I guess to wrap up Pig, you know, this is kind of a slow burn indie art house film. So it's kind of was like the trailer portrays it as a little more. It's almost like a, it seemed like it was like a, it was giving off John Wick vibes, basically. Definitely. That's definitely what I thought when they were, uh, when I first heard about it. Mm-hmm. And this is a very slow burn indie art house film and about the cutthroat fine cuisine establishment scene in Portland, Oregon, and the lengths that they go to, to get these amazing truffles that they'll use in their, theme dishes for or their seasonal dishes i should say but yeah, it's a very odd movie odd plot but nicholas cage he holds it all together very poignant i guess i'll say about the the film itself and the ending but yeah go out and go out and see it pig yeah it's very much about familial relationships 
like uh, one of the one of the plot points is about Alex Wolf and his relationship with his father, and then uh, Nick Cage's character kind of helps him with that. Yep. All right, so Hunter, we are to your number eight. So my number eight was another movie that I didn't think was very good, but I'm glad I saw it. Uh, it was that was Spielberg's remake of West Side Story. Um, okay. Not a very good movie, but the singing and dancing is ace, and that makes it worth seeing. Um, but it's more like an homage to West Side Story than West Side Story. Like they change a lot about it. Mm. You know, we're going to take a song from this character and give it to Rita Moreno, who we made a new character for so she could be in it. Um, stuff like that, that kind of sullies the the original show that um, where it's kind of like, well, we're actually just sort of homaging it and doing it at the same time. Doesn't quite know what it wants to be. But again, it's it feels like I think there was a missed opportunity here. I think Spielberg really could have revived the film musical um, and he didn't because um, the, the talent is there, but it's a really culturally dumb movie. Uh, there's, you know, Puerto Ricans who are Catholic uh, working class, but they live in sin in gigantic apartments in New York city in the fifties. Mm. <laughs> That's really, really stupid. <laughs> like insultingly <laughs> stupid um stuff like that that's just tone deaf like uh you know or ignorant you know of, of history and culture um ignorant. it just takes me out of it but the talent as far as the singing and the dancing goes is 100 great um i just think if this movie had stuck to the source material done something straightforward uh, it could have been something that unites America uh, behind this wonderful genre. And instead, it's it's a film that's a little bit divisive. It appeals to the more insane elements in our society. And so as a result, it's not that good. But this was a not that good year. So it ends up on the list for the good singing and dancing. So that's it. All right. All right. And I didn't do the breakdown. It's directed by Steven Spielberg. It stars Ansel Elgort and Rita Moreno and that girl who wasn't invited to the Oscars. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I'm just going to leave it at that. That's why no one will remember her name. <laughs> <laughs> it was her first movie. She hasn't earned her Oscar. Seat yet. <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, Brett, you're number eight. My number eight is small engine repair. Anybody else see that? Nope. One? Never even heard of it. Never saw it. I don't think they even ran trailers for this. Honestly, I saw it in the theater. It just popped up on the schedule. I went to see it. It was, uh, it was fantastic. Um, directed and written by John Polono. And it stars John Bernthal, Shea Wiggum, uh, and John Polono. Um, a few other in there but it's mainly those three um the synopsis is events spin wildly out of control when three lifelong friends agree to do a favor on behalf of the brash young woman they all adore so this movie is basically about like male bonding it's about three three guys who've been friends since childhood and they have a falling out and then a few months later one of them 
calls them back to together to reunite and uh they have kind of a guy's night at the uh the small engine repair shop that he runs and uh it's it's basically dudes hanging out watching fights talking about life drinking uh smoking weed uh, and doing you know guy stuff and then it kind of spirals into something more uh which i don't want to spoil because it was pretty uh it was a little shocking uh the direction that it went in but um it's uh i believe it's based on a play which you can kind of tell because it's mostly set in one location um and it's it's somewhat dialogue heavy but um it was just nice seeing a movie about like regular dudes doing regular dude stuff you know guys <laughs> being dudes guys being guys and uh i think it's set in boston too so they're they're kind of bostony but uh um yeah, definitely uh, <laughs> worth checking out. One of my favorite movies of the year. All right. My number eight is Red Rocket. Oh, I want to see that with Simon Rex. Yep. Yep. There your list, uh, Brett. My honorable mentions. Okay. So it was directed by Sean Baker. Starring Simon Rex, Brie Elrod. Susanna's son, Brenda Deese. That's about it. That's uh, notable. A lot of his actors without many credits, so to say. Uh, synopsis. Mikey Saber is a washed up porn star who returns to his small Texas hometown. Not that anyone really wants him back. So I, I liked it a great deal, but I, I did think Florida Project was better. You guys seen the Florida Project? Mm-mm. I haven't seen any yeah. Simon Baker films and I've been meaning to because they sound like yeah. they're up my alley. I watched the Florida Project a couple months ago. I think I watched it before I saw Red Rocket. Um, I like Red Rocket better. Okay. I didn't, Florida Project, I didn't, uh, I don't know, I didn't really uh, jive with it with the, uh, the bad kids. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Didn't jive uh, with Willem Dafoe in a in a career performance. I didn't think it was career performance, but that's how it was sold. It was weird not seeing his dick, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, I, I, it, it wasn't bad necessarily, but I just uh, I, I think the lack of a story um, kind of bothered me with the Florida Project um mm-hmm. like, like some movies can get away with it like if you have interesting characters or characters that that i i'd want to mm-hmm. spend time with uh, and those kids weren't necessarily it yeah shot baker kind of makes these meandering films hunter have you seen american honey nope okay that's another one that's not sean baker but it's very much like a sean baker film They're very much like florida project and red rocket baker really has an eye for showing us the taint of america (laughs) Um, well because floor project is about all these very low income welfare type people living in this uh, motel that's very near disney world in in florida they kind of you know they pay by the week that type of a thing but um and in this one it's you know former porn star comes back home to small Texas town 
where it's, you know, his uh, ex, well, his, it's his current wife, but they're estranged. And, you know, she's a prostitute on the side to try and make ends meet with her mom, who's looks a little worse for the, for the wear, you know, she's a heavy smoker and her, she's probably only like 60, but she looks, you know, 80, you know, one of those mm-hmm. types of people. He gets a lot of real people to be in his movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people with a little acting experience. But yeah, it's like a slice of Americana and his and his the endings he had. I haven't seen Tangerine, but people seem to love that one. So I can't speak to that one. But the endings of uh, Florida Project and Red Rocket are very ambiguous. So if you like those types of movies, I think this will be up your alley. Yeah. But yeah, um, no, I, I heard Low Res talk about it and it sounded it intrigued me, piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Simon Rex. Uh, He's come a long way since Shriek, if you know what I did last Friday the 13th. Uh, Well, he was one. His star was rising for a little bit, and then it came out that he had done some porn when he was, you know, trying to pay the bills when he was a struggling actor. And that Mm -hmm. kind of kind of stalled his career. And he ended up doing like superhero movie and just he would just appear in these kind of yeah, you know, scary movie sub Zucker, Abram Zucker movies. Yeah, he was in all those spoofs. And you know, I think he was big on Vine, maybe. Um, but uh, I think I could be confusing him with someone else. He was a movies. VJ as well, right? For MTV. Yeah, he was on MTV, and you know, but I think I think Red Rocket is partially inspired by Simon Baker himself, not Simon Baker, Simon Rex himself. I think that you know, his career trajectory plays a little bit of a part in that film. Yeah. He's, he's pretty perfectly cast for that role. Mm-hmm. Very solid movie. Check it out. Uh, Hunter, what is your number seven? Number seven is another movie that this is one I'm kind of ashamed to include, but um, I enjoyed it. And uh, that is the suicide squad. I know. James Gunn. Hey, I admitted that I creep. like like Crash, so you don't have to feel bad about admitting <laughs> movies that you liked. Okay, I went out on the biggest limb on this show. Okay, yeah, saying that I like Crash. So, well, yeah, I was talking uh, on this episode. I was talking to <laughs> yeah on this I was, episode. I should say I was talking to Low Res about it, and we were both like, "Yeah, we know it's not cool to like it, but we enjoyed it." You know. But yeah, directed by James mm-hmm. Gunn. It stars uh, John Cena, um, Idris Elba, Peter. Uh, what's his name? Oh my God, Pete Davidson. He, oh yeah, he's in there for a second. It's it was satisfying to see his head get blown off. Um, and uh, what's his <laughs> name? Peter Capaldi uh, was in there too. I always like seeing him. But no, it's you know I I'm not really a James Gunn fan, but I just had fun. I like dudes on a mission movies and i enjoyed it uh quite a bit um Mm -hmm. the violence was satisfying the characters were fun even if there's too much cursing and you know in ways that is gratuitous but i don't know just something about it charmed me and you know also it turns into a godzilla movie at the end which i liked (laughs) uh that was especially interesting. Like the big starfish villain was pretty cool. Um, 
and I hope it's better than Shin Godzilla. You know, I'm also a fan of Shin Godzilla. <laughs> I have to admit, it's Godzilla versus yeah. the government red tape. Yeah, I hadn't watched uh, many Godzilla films like ever. I'd seen maybe one. I don't know. And then at a screening at the theater I work at, it was like a surprise screening where somebody brings something random and they brought Shin Godzilla. I was like, oh, sweet, a Godzilla movie. I'll see what Hunter and everyone, you know, loves about these films. And it's probably like the worst one to like watch it's, first. Yeah, that's not it's all about that, that government red tape. Yeah, it, it is <laughs> not so a movie boring. to start with at all. <laughs> I mean, once I understood that, like people kind of explained like, oh, yeah, it's just more of a comment about the government red tape you know it's not like it's not a typical godzilla movie and then i no. kind of got it more and but anywho proceed oh i was just going to say that um you know i don't necessarily think that james gunn is a positive force in our culture uh i don't and this is not a movie i expected to enjoy but i have to be honest i did i i enjoyed my time with it what what that says about me i don't know but that's it. What did, what did you think of the other Suicide Squad movie? It didn't make much of an impression on me at all. Um, I just remember watching it and kind of being disappointed. It's because it we didn't... need to see the air cut. Yeah, I know. I'll bet. I'll bet the air cut would redeem that film, knowing what we know. Mm-hmm. I I actually liked the uh, the other Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like when Eric and I talked about it, like I liked it for all the reasons that he hated it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the the James Gunn one was such a departure. It was like yeah. the, they're like we're gonna do the complete opposite, yeah, yeah, of what we did in the last one. And uh, I don't know, it just wasn't. I didn't find it funny. I didn't find any of the characters particularly enjoyable. Yeah. But, uh, no, and a hundred percent. When some of my friends say, "Oh, they find it repulsive," and blah blah blah, I'm like, "Yeah, I understand that." I don't know. I just enjoyed myself. That's it. <laughs> All right. So my number seven is nobody. Mm. Nobody saw it. I started watching it, but um, my wife is kind of squeamish with violence and when he cuts the dude's throat open and puts the straw trach in, she was like, I'm out. Like, let's watch something else. You know? <laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes, the scene on the bus <laughs> yeah. where they get the music going. Yeah. And he just like flips the switch. He's like, oh, yes. Like, uh, you know, I, I was going to come out of retirement and then I had a, a crisis of conscience and now's my opportunity to, to really fuck some shit up. <laughs> I mean, I was I was almost cheering when I when they did that. Um, it's directed by Ilya uh, Nyshuler. I don't know how to, if I'm saying that right. Uh, stars Bob Odenkirk, Connie Nielsen, Christopher Lloyd, Michael Ironside is in there, Larissa, a bunch of Russian people. Uh, synopsis is a docile family man slowly reveals his true character after his house gets burgled by two petty thieves which coincidentally leads him into a bloody war with a russian crime boss yeah this was this was like a good john wick movie like i'm not a john wick (laughs) fan really um the first one was okay and they get they get worse as they go i love the john wick movies (laughs) 
with but this is like mm-hmm. what i thought like john wick you know maybe should have been mm. but uh yeah like i i didn't have much expectation for bob odenkirk as an action star and he plays it perfectly the music cues to go along with the action scenes are great um and then the uh the finale is just fantastic one of the best action scenes in in movies i've seen in a while mm. it's just a ton of fun and um yeah li- it lived up to all the hype for me like people were hyping it up and uh i agree after seeing it it's a fantastic film. yeah i'm gonna give it a another shake here pretty soon all right well you know seven was king richard for me six was uh zack snyder's justice league so we're down to my number five which is uh, House of Gucci, and I assume is one of Brett's top movies on his list. That is my number three. Okay, take it. The House of Gucci. So House of Gucci, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons, Jared Leto, uh, Jack Houston, Selma Hayek, Synopsis is when Patricia Reggiani, an outsider from humble beginnings, marries into the Gucci family, her unbridled ambition begins to unravel their legacy and triggers a reckless spiral of betrayal, decadence, revenge, and ultimately murder. Yeah, I love this. People are talking this one up as a camp classic. Oh, everything about it is fucking great um jared leto is maybe my favorite thing the scenes where jared leto and al pacino are acting against each other are just perfect just they're so over the top lady gaga is so over the top with her with her accent yeah i've heard she hams up the italian accent like yeah 30 fold oh for sure it's i don't know it's just like you said it's very campy uh, very very dramatic and uh it just kept me engaged the whole time because it's like what's gonna happen next like you know so you know the dude's gonna get murdered at the end because they showed at the beginning but like all this stuff to get there is just the wildest shit and it's like i can't believe this is real people um and maybe it is maybe it isn't but uh it, it was uh it was fantastic I, I loved it. Yeah, I would agree. The relationship and the performances uh, with Jared Leto and Al Pacino were the, were the highlight of the film, I thought. Um, just hilarious. Um, I was a little, like, I thought this was going to be my favorite film of the year, and it wasn't, so I was by default disappointed. But it's still great. Um, very entertaining. You know, good soundtrack, good pace on it really tight movie one of those like tight two hour 20 minute movies <laughs> right um or two and a half is it is it two and a half? actually 238 238 two hours okay. and 38 yeah i specifically uh didn't look up the story behind this before i saw it because i wanted to i wasn't exactly sure who got killed going into it so i didn't you know no spoilers <laughs> you know what <laughs> i gotta go in fresh <laughs> But yeah, the all the performances are pretty hammy and fun. Yeah, just uh, just a fun time at the Cineplex. 
So we're on number six, right? Did, did we do number six? Six for Hunter. Hunter. Yeah. So I'm an idiot. I actually skipped one of mine because when it's we okay. got to Suicide Squad, we were getting to ones that I actually like. There's mm-hmm. one more. There was one below that, and I actually skipped over. It's my bad. This is one that has things I like about it, but overall, I would still give it a thumbs down. And that was last night in Soho. That is my number one. Oh, well, that then, my number take one. Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last night in Soho is uh, directed by Edgar Wright, stars Thomasin McKenzie, Anya Taylor Joy, Matt Smith. Diana Rigg. And the synopsis is an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. But the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker. Yeah, I I loved everything about this movie. Um I love the the look, the aesthetic, the the music. Mm-hmm. I liked all the special effects and the uh, the visual effects of of doing the mirrored uh, characters. Mm-hmm. Um, all that was fantastic. Everything was great. I even liked the end. Like people say, the end sucked or like they didn't like it. I liked the end. Mm. So I think that's uh, that's maybe a difference for me as far as why I ranked it so high. Because uh, I liked it start to finish. I liked everything about it. Mm. Um, I I agree with you on the look and the aesthetics and the music. These are things Edgar Wright excels in. Um, what I didn't like about it, a movie I would compare it to is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Both films cast their gaze back at the 60s. But uh, Edgar Wright is kind of looking at the 60s through uh, our pop culture today. And he's applying kind of modern uh, wokeism to it. And what I liked about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was it got, it got all that technical, the, the music, the aesthetics, the everything. But it also, the narratives it attacks are ones that are pretty prevalent narratives, like that in a way that I think is refreshing. Like he, he you know, flips the table on the Manson family. You know, this is something that's loomed large in our pop culture. And he, you know, he, he sets them on fire with the flamethrower. Uh, I like, I like that he, you know, kind of thumbed his nose at Bruce Lee. Um, I thought that was, I thought that was really ballsy. And um, whereas last night in Soho, it's kind of like, Oh, you like the sixties. Well, guess what? The sixties were, misogynist (laughs) (laughs) did you know that like you know go watch thunderball again you know so uh, i just i i was i didn't that's what i didn't like about it was that it was kind of like edgar wright wasn't he wasn't going to say anything in this movie that would upset anybody it's it kind of kowtows to modern tastes and sensibilities and that's what i didn't like about it but that said, I was gripped when I was watching it. I loved the design and aesthetics and the music and the special. Of, I mean, I was going, wow, like I would show this in editing class. It's not, you know, my in my film, I, there are scenes I would want to show in my film class. But I just overall, I thought it was uh, 
I, I thought um, I just, I, I didn't, I think a movie that did what this was trying to do better was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, so that's my thoughts on it. All right. Uh, I kind of agree with both of what you said there. Um, uh, like I really love the aesthetic music setting, the, the editing. I thought a lot of that was great. I'll screw you with what you're talking about, Hunter. He kind of didn't really, he didn't really commit. He didn't go for it. You know, he kind of made a very safe movie. Biggest mm-hmm. problem I had with it was the, I thought there was a pretty big plot hole in there, which I won't get into. Uh, okay. But the plot hole really bothered me, kind of took me out of it. But uh, still, plenty of things to enjoy, I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's one I, you know, I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, but I was very uh, taken by the look and everything like that. So, yep. I will say I, I disagree with Eric on there being a plot hole <laughs> where he thinks there's a plot hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So what's uh, I'm up next for what? Number six. Yep. My number six is Zola or at Zola, depending on what, you're looking at it on did any of you see zola no edge of tomorrow zola <laughs> no zola about the uh, <laughs> the stripper that goes to florida yeah <laughs> based on a twitter thread apparently mm-hmm. uh directed by i don't know janixa it's j-a-n-i-c-z-a janitia uh, bravo maybe elon musk kid or something <laughs> I have no idea. It stars uh, Taylor Page, Riley Keough, Nicholas Braun, uh, Ariel Stachel, Nelsie Soufrant, Nasir Rahim, Coleman Domingo. There's another bloodline with uh, Keough, you know, the Elvis bloodline. Elvis is a pretty prolific actor. Now we got uh, mm-hmm. Riley Keough. She's really good at playing white trash. <laughs> yeah she's an american honey uh playing white trash it's perfect uh, like she's really white trash and in, in zola <laughs> uh the synopsis is a stripper named zola embarks on a wild road trip to florida and it's i mean it's that it's basically you're, you're tagging along on the trip to florida these two strippers meet uh well one of them's waiting tables at a, at a restaurant and uh one of them invites the other to go to Florida with her manager and her boyfriend. And it turns out the manager's the pimp and the boyfriend is just kind of, he gets cucked kind of all along the way. And uh, surprise, surprise. yeah, it's just, it's just wild shit happens. And it's, uh, I thought it was really funny. I thought there was a lot of funny stuff in there. The performances were fantastic. I liked, like I said, this, this is apparently uh based on a twitter thread a story that the the real zola tweeted out and uh, like they use tweets on screen and, and it's kind of funny how they do it and then like halfway through the movie they like they switch the perspective to the to riley keogh's character and it's like you get the uh the counter argument to what actually happened and um yeah I had a lot of fun with it. There's a lot of wild shit in there, and uh, I would recommend it. All right. 
That brings us to my number four. Judas and the Black Messiah. Now, this was in consideration for last year's Oscars because they extended the deadline by about two months. So it's not nominated at all this year. But uh, Daniel Kaluuya won last year for Best Supporting, I believe. It was directed by Shaka King, starring Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield, Jesse Plemons, Dominic Fishback, Ashton Sanders, uh, Lil Rel Howery, Algie Smith. Synopsis. Offered a plea deal by the FBI, William O'Neill infiltrates the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party to gather intelligence on Chairman Fred Hampton. So this was a obviously a true story, and it's a, it was a big one um, that I actually didn't know all that much about. I knew Fred Hampton was a legendary Black Panther that was uh, killed by the police um, in kind of shady circumstances. I didn't really know uh, much about it. You know, didn't read up on it before I saw it and watched the movie. And I was able to learn a lot. Um, obviously, I read up more afterwards and kind of saw what they, you know, what, what fiction was involved. And maybe there was a lot of true events that didn't happen in that order. And they, you know, they sequence everything together to kind of make a more coherent film. So it was interesting to, you know, kind of get the, the full story. But the performances are great. I do find it uh, to be a pretty fascinating uh, story. It's a turbulent time in America uh, with race. Uh, never again. Uh, we've been, it's been easy, smooth sailing since then. But um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I'll say that. But I was expecting kind of to be hit over the head with the, you know, it's, it's a film that's made now in the age of woke. And so I thought I was just going to be beat me over the head about how terrible of a person I am. For being born the way I am, but it wasn't, you know, it's just that it was a pretty accurate uh, portrayal of the uh, people in question and the story. Um, so yeah, it was a, a fascinating watch and I would definitely recommend it. You know, it's a, a new movie that sounds kind of like that, but is probably like incredibly worse is uh, Alice. Have you heard about Alice? Uh, no. I just saw it. I thought I saw it last weekend and it's just awful. It's uh it's about a woman who's a slave and she runs away and then she finds out that it's 1973 in Georgia. <laughs> and uh, Oh, that's right. Yeah, we're showing it at the theater right now. <laughs> Regina and, uh, Paul. Um Kiki Palmer is the uh I don't know who if Regina Hall's involved or not, but um yeah, Common is a truck driver and he picks her up on the street and then he takes her to his apartment and then uh, the next day he leaves to, to work and uh, to go to work and she spends the afternoon reading and they flash pictures of like Malcolm X and Fred Hampton and and within a day she's uh, radicalized and uh, wants to go get revenge on the people who were enslaving her. Sir, I was thinking of the movie Master, which is out right now. That's like, oh, I don't, it's a horror film that I don't know much about. At least I think it's a horror film with uh, Regina Hall. Yeah. So my next one is another one I enjoyed uh, Godzilla versus Kong, directed by Adam Wingard, uh, starring Alexander Skarsgård, Millie Bobby Brown, a um, bunch of people whose names I don't really know. But uh, it is probably the best of these Monsterverse movies uh, that they've been doing. Um, I, 
thought it was exactly what it needed to be a big dumb kaiju film and it was colorful it was exciting there was some stuff that annoyed me about it it's not a great movie but um but overall i think it's closer to what an american godzilla movie should be i think we're in the right direction i love the hollow earth stuff you know it's great yeah. All right. Well, let me go to the next. Sure. My number five is Nightmare Alley. Oh yeah. Is that on your list, Hunter? No. Uh, but I was I was gonna say, oh yeah, one of our Oscar-nominated entries. Okay. Yes. Yeah. This is my this is my number two. All right. Go uh, ahead. Directed by Guillermo del Toro, starring Bradley Cooper, uh, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe. Richard Jenkins, Rooney Mara, and Ron Perlman. Synopsis, a grifter working his way up from low-ranking carnival worker to lauded psychic psychic medium matches wits with a psychiatrist bent on exposing him. This is probably my favorite Del Toro movie. And I know, Brett, you're going to agree with me that it is much better than The Shape of Water. (laughs) I didn't even bother with that. I was like, no, I'm not watching (laughs) it. It's so dumb. It's one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen. Uh, uh, but it checks all of the boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I, Nightmare Alley is, I think, by far the best Del Toro movie that I've seen. Wow. Bradley Cooper is phenomenal in here. Uh, I wouldn't mind if he won uh, Best Actor, although was he even nominated? I didn't see. I forget. Doesn't matter. But <laughs> he was uh, terrific in here. I kind of saw the ending coming but it didn't matter at all is it, it was just a very captivating story i thought kind of has uh, shades of you know old hollywood so yeah it was just i was uh, engaged the entire film two and a half hour long movie <laughs> but yeah. um i need yeah. to see the original with tyrone power yeah i've heard that's uh it's pretty good as well mm-hmm. i watched i watched the original uh maybe a couple weeks after i saw the new one i like the new one better because it 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 kind of develops the stories a little uh the storylines a little more the the original kind of it's probably 40 45 minutes shorter than the new one so it doesn't uh it doesn't have the time to kind of go in and into the same depth that the new one does and uh obviously the new one has better visual effects and and things like that and they're able to go more into the uh violence and and things of that nature um but it's worth seeing the original too um there's a lot of things that they basically remade uh exactly in the in the new one too um i love the behind the scenes of the um the carnival life i thought that was one of the most uh fascinating things about nightmare alley Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, everything was uh, was great. Um, very pleasantly surprised because, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of Del Toro's movies. Yeah, me neither. But uh, yeah, this one really hit. Yeah. This was it was a, a great one. Cool. All right, I only have two left. My number three is The Last Duel. Any of your lists? No. Okay. Directed by Ridley Scott, starring Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Cormer. Comer, Harriet Walter, and Ben Affleck. Synopsis. King Charles VI declares the knight Jean de... I can't even pronounce the name French. Uh, Carouge. 
settle his dispute with his squire by challenging him to a duel. So, yeah, two Ridley Scott films this year with the House of Gucci. And I think this is the superior one. Uh, I had a blast watching this, more so than I expected. Uh, performances are great. Uh, ben Affleck has a, a bleached uh, goatee. And does he, is his uh, hair even bleached too? He's blonde. Yep. And it's Just, a bit of a mullet. It's like a baby mullet. Yeah. And Matt Damon, Damon has a mullet too. Yeah. Damon also has a mullet. And they don't even bother with the accents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the action sequences were great in here. It's almost another cuck movie. It's actually a rape. But um, although Adam Driver said it was consensual. So he's alleging that Matt Damon's a cuck. So <laughs> yeah. And yeah it's least- one of those movies where they show the story from three different perspectives. Yeah, it's like Rashomon. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a it's like a Rashomon remake. Yeah, is what it is. And yeah, the the last duel itself was phenomenal. I love that action set piece at the end. And I won't spoil you know who kills who, but when they actually kill that person, I was like, oh fuck you, that is that is rad. <laughs> that is pretty gnarly. It's pretty sweet yeah. kill. <laughs> yeah. The duel um, was the the duel is great. For sure. Uh, so, yeah, I had a blast with The Last Duel. Uh, what else do you have, Hunter? My number four is Dune. And not, not on my list. I th- I'm sorry? Oh, I was just saying not on my oh, list. Okay. Uh, I thought it was a smoother experience than the Lynch one. I like the Lynch one more uh, overall. But this one loses a lot of points for just being half a movie, you know, doesn't feel complete. Mm-hmm. It's kind of unsatisfying mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. But overall I liked what Denis Villeneuve did with it. And uh, you know, it was directed by him and starring Timothy Chalamet and Jason Momoa and um, uh, uh, what's his bucket. Um, Oscar Isaac, uh, Josh Brolin, a uh, huge cast. You know, it's been a Zendaya. It's been way in the long, long awaited, but you know, it's half a movie. That's the only thing about it is it's, it's unsatisfying, but I liked all the stuff they did with it. Uh, There's, you know, I, but I like some of the casting more in the Lynch one. I liked what Lynch did with the characters a little more, but, um, but overall I was pleased with it. So, um, you know, it was definitely one of the, movies i enjoyed seeing in the theater this year i agree with that i liked it but it's half a movie you know talk to me when volume two comes out yeah exactly right i gotta well, give the lynch one another try it put me to sleep the first time i tried to honestly it. it i when i the first time i saw it i didn't really care for it but it really has grown on me over the years and i've watched i've probably watched it more than any other david lynch movie which is bizarre <laughs> I, I feel like i'd probably understand it more after seeing the new well yeah because the new one really spells it out a lot more simple and a lot more simple terms yes it it kind of like i said it goes down smooth and if you've read the book too that the lynch movies it's kind of for people who read the book you know but uh uh Mm. but the seeing this movie will help you make sense of it Hunter, why don't you, we've heard your number two and your number one. So why don't you just uh, finish off your list with uh, your number three? Okay. My number three is a quiet place. Part two. Okay. Um, 
I, it's technically it says it's a 2020 movie, but I don't think it really got a wide release till 2021. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was one of the first uh, summer movies to come out in 2021. And uh, I, you know, didn't have any expectations for it. I loved the first movie. I saw it on my honeymoon with my wife. It's the first movie we saw when we after we got married. It was a great time. With this one, you know, I kind of expect sequels to be not as good, but I thought it was almost as good. Uh, the, t- the There was a lot of tension. It was uh, exciting. You know, it's the most fun I had watching a horror film this year. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't believe that they kind of pulled the same concept out twice, but there you go. Um, I really uh, was surprised by it. I almost forgot about it when I was making my list. It kind of, I kind of, glossed by it but uh yeah. i went oh yeah that was yeah. that was a movie i really enjoyed watching in the theater yeah i enjoyed it as well uh, i didn't make my list but um very entertaining and a worthy sequel i'd say yeah um brett you have what just one on your list left i have uh my number four and number two left okay. what's your four number four is the eyes of tammy faye my number one uh, directed by michael showalter which was uh, I was a little surprised to see that. Yeah, I was too. Uh, Starring Cheska Chastain, Andrew Garfield, Sherry Jones, Vincent D'Onofrio, Mark Weistrach, Sam Yeager, and Louis uh, Cancel Cancel Me. <laughs> I guess. What a name. <laughs> uh, synopsis: An intimate look at the extraordinary rise, fall, and redemption of televangelist Tammy Faye Baker. Jessica Chastain was phenomenal. Great Minnesota accent. You know, I'm a bit partial yes. in this movie because it's a kind of a Minnesota movie. We're such homers here. Mm-hmm. We love everything Minnesota. <laughs> uh, I didn't look if anything was filmed here or not, but, you know, she was born here and raised here and first half hour or so it takes place in Minnesota. But anywho, it kind of really opened my eyes, uh, wink, wink, uh, to the real Tammy Faye Baker. Man, I know this is a movie, but it's based off of a, a documentary yeah called the eyes of Tommy Faye baker that came out about 20 years ago or so yeah when this came out i went wait what isn't that already a, was this a remake you know it's kind of confused at yeah first. so all up until this film basically all i had really known was that uh, snl sketch from probably 88 it was a church chat uh, snl sketch when they had the bakers on they show it in the film for about three seconds in a montage about talking about how the media is viewing, uh, you know, this train wreck of this, this scandal that was a big deal at the time. But I didn't realize how big of a deal PTL was. You know, they got 20 million viewers a day all over the world. I mean, it was a big deal. I just had no idea. You kind of realize there's a difference between the real life Tammy and how she was portrayed in the media. Uh, this movie has some real I, Tanya vibes. It's a similar style. No good soundtrack, cinematography, editing. Uh, story's fascinating. Like I said, you know, PTL was such a huge deal. And there's like tens of millions of dollars that was embezzled. And I don't know, I guess I just kind of gravitate towards these types of stories and characters. The way these types of movies kind of critique our culture, kind of expose the worst parts of it. Um, I, Tanya, was a little more in the media. And, I, and Tanya Harding's a I'd say a more flawed character than Tammy Faye, but the sentiment's kind of the same, I think. And 
the way we kind of built people up just to tear them down. It's like all these flawed protagonists that almost, they kind of represent America, or at least like my idea of like a perfect America in a way, you know, the underdog, the down, but never out, no matter how many blemishes or mistakes you've made, you can always try to do better. And uh, Andrew Garfield is like, he's just good in everything, isn't he? So he's uh, such like a Swiss army knife. I feel like, you know, the heartbreak Ridge and silence He's so good in silence. You're a big fan of silence, aren't you, Hunter? Yes, I'm a big fan. I don't like the ending. Uh, it changes. I think Martin Scorsese changed the ending to make himself feel better about um, his own personal life. But uh, uh, but I do think it is an incredibly well-made film um, mm-hmm. that, you know, everyone. I think it's a kind of a hidden Scorsese gem, you know. Yeah, he's terrific in here as well. He's nominated for Tick, Tick, Boom, which I mm. didn't see. I didn't see but, it. Um, I didn't see that either. Yeah. I remember actually uh, we talked about Low Res. Uh, he had a great episode on his, uh, or actually on the Oscar nominations a while back. And he talked about the eyes of Tammy Faye, and he didn't care for it and hated the makeup. He thought it was ridiculous, and it you know, looked like clown makeup. And <laughs> I mean, I pretty much agree with most of everything that Low Res says. You know, he runs a great show over there. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what he was talking about with the, with or his view with the makeup. I was like, it was nominated for an Oscar, which, you know, who cares, you know, for the makeup, but I thought it was perfect. It was like, that's how she looked. That's it is exactly how she looked. And that's like (laughs) Like, what she was most known for. She's the cell evangelist with all the crazy makeup. Yeah. She did look like a clown. Yeah. Specifically about the eyes. That's why they call it the eyes. (laughs) The fucking like half a gallon of mascara on and she had like permanent you know lip liner yeah almost like black all around the lips it was just ridiculous it's like that's how she was if you want to look into some crazy uh you know kind of evangelical preacher people there's a series on i think it's on hbo called the way down um okay and let me make sure i'm getting my facts right here but it's definitely worth watching way down tv series yeah it's about um uh let's see it fall it's about gwen shamblin uh and she was she died actually last year in a plane crash she was married to tarzan actor joe lara but if you look up gwen shamblin lara and they both died in the plane crash together um Hmm. But uh, she is a very bizarre, eccentric character. If you like Tammy Faye Baker, she's one to look into in that uh, she kind of combined dieting and evangelical Christianity and, you know, started a very kind of cult-like church in Tennessee. Um, But it's very interesting. Okay. Yeah. um, I don't know. Brad, do you have any other thoughts? Yeah, I thought... uh... I thought the performances were great. Yeah, it's almost like a comedy in, in a lot of places. Um, it's kind of a it. The tone is almost like it's a parody, in mm-hmm. a, in a lot of ways. But I think it's pretty true to 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 what actually happened, um, and it fits because Tammy Faye is so over the top outrageous. Like, like you almost have to do it that way. I, I do want to mention Vincent D'Onofrio's performance as Jerry Falwell. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. As he is in most things. 
but yeah, it was, it was just, uh, it was nice to get the story behind the characters. Cause I had, uh, you know, I had just surface level knowledge of, of Jim and Tammy Baker. Um, just that they were kind of disgraced and, um, uh, part of a controversy or, or whatnot. So, um, and then I had seen her on the surreal life years later, mm-hmm. you know, so <laughs> that was, that was basically my knowledge of Tammy Faye Baker. So, uh, yeah, and it, it was, it's a great story, great performances. I, when I saw it, I thought, man, they got to give Jessica Chastain the Oscar, right? Like, like who, who's going to outperform her this year? So she's won the past couple of award shows. Like I think she won SAG and I think maybe independent spirit. So I guess she's kind of leapt into the front of the uh, best actress race. So, yeah. So, and bonus, because when I saw it, there were two older women who kind of had the same makeup style as Tammy Faye. And they were whispering during the movie, I didn't know Jim was gay. <laughs> Did you know he was gay? <laughs> so uh, I, I guess that was a revelation that Jim Baker may or may not have had a homosexual relationship with his assistant. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's this one more on the list. Well, what is it, Brett? My number two is Blue Bayou. Never saw it. Mm-hmm. Written and directed and stars Jason Chan, or sorry, Justin Chan. Uh, also stars Alicia Vikander, Mark O'Brien, uh, Lynn Dan Pham, Vondi Curtis Hall, Emery Cohen. Um, and the synopsis is as a Korean American man raised in the Louisiana Bayou works hard to make a life for his family. He must confront the ghosts of his past as he discovers that he could be deported from the only country he has ever called home. So this is this is pretty admi- admittedly a a political kind of propaganda movie, a, and the storyline re- revolves around this character who was adopted when he was three years old from Korea, and after an altercation with the police. He's turned over to ICE and they find out his adopted parents never filed the paperwork to make him a citizen. And since he has a police record, they're going to deport him. And so his options are go to Korea and then uh, wait uh, the process out to get back into the country, which could take years and money and all that stuff. Or he can appeal the ruling. And if he loses He's going to get deported with no opportunity to return. And he's got a fiance who's pregnant and his fiance has got a daughter that he is basically the only father she knows. And so it's kind of the, the way the family deals with the situation as he prepares to fight the deportation ruling and how he goes about to get the, money to pay for lawyers and how to find how he finds character witnesses um because he doesn't have a relationship with his adoptive parents anymore and um it's it's a really touching drama and it's a really compelling argument for at least uh reforming that part of the immigration law um as it stands around people who are adopted as children um 
and uh yeah it's a it's a tearjerker um Mm. for sure really touching and uh it looks great the acting's great definitely would recommend it all right well hunter thank you so much for sticking with us here through all this um let's hear all of your plugs uh check us out at midnightmoviecowboys.com can hit me up on twitter if you just look my name up that's my handle hunter deucing and yeah just go hit up our show if you can find us on itunes spotify stitcher wherever you listen to podcasts you can find our show and youtube because you recently started video yes and youtube we are we have video podcasts on youtube now oh boy Mm -hmm. um so yeah you got a couple episodes dropping uh this week or next week yeah there's one about to come out with it's not going to drop this i think tomorrow night so yeah yeah so and then there's one we're doing there's one with me and john that'll be coming up soon too so all right sounds good can't wait Mm -hmm. Um, thanks for having me on guys yeah thank you so much for being here so uh, brett why don't you tell the folks and how about our lovely merchandise and where you can find it yes we have great merchandise you can get some at wtm watch this creator dash spring.com we got all kinds of stuff t-shirts hoodies uh stickers I, i'm not sure what else is out there but uh, we got a ton of different designs, so check it out and uh, rep some WTM merch. Speaking of the MMC, there is a WTM shirt in transit as we speak to Australia, to a Mr. Stuart Bolt, who's going to wear it proudly. Special order. We we bent over backwards to get it to him because <laughs> <laughs> Teespring does not ship to Australia. Mm-hmm. Or spring, I guess it is. If you're in Australia, you're uh, you're out of luck unless you can find me on Twitter and guilt me into sending you one, <laughs> or maybe PayPaling me something. I'll, I can make it happen. Yeah, but it will not. It will probably not be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a little little some extra stuff there and a care package for Stu. So it isn't just a shirt that we're sending. You'll probably be able to see it in their segment that they do on their show, Whip Out Your Junk, when they talk about the recent purchases that they've made. So Mm -hmm. look out for that in about two weeks. (laughs) Well, if they record in two weeks and then two weeks after when they release it. Yeah, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at watch this underscore movie or Brett at Positively Wolf one Check out our website at WTMWatchThisMovie.com. You can email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. And please rate and review, subscribe on Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere where you find podcasts. Uh, other than that, we will check you later. I guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking check about? Check you later. Check you later. <laughs> hey, man, you off my case.